We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, everybody. It is a Saturday morning, excuse me, in the Delaware Valley. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now. And, of course, it is a Sixers Saturday as they try to close out against the Toronto Raptors' first round of the NBA playoffs. And, Ray, as good as we're feeling about it, some news came over yesterday. Still uncertain exactly the extent of this, but we do know that Joel Embiid is dealing with a thumb issue. Sixers are listing him as available today. He is supposed to play. He's got a right thumb sprain, some say. Maybe more, some say. Uh, Tests will be done. He, uh, he, all expectations is that he is going to play through it, manage it, and as long as they are in a run, Joel Embiid will be part of it. So the question becomes to you, Ray, how concerning is this? Well, up 3 nothing, up 3 nothing in the series, you've got a significant margin of error here where if he's a little off his game for a game or two, it's still not critical. If, if you were dealing with this and you were down – 3-1 in the series, I'd be very worried. But, you know, I think right now they're sitting in a pretty good place, and he doesn't seem too concerned, and the coach doesn't seem too concerned. So, well, I mean, everybody kind of agrees that this is going to hamper him a little bit, at least in the short term, but not enough to alter the arc of the series, it wouldn't appear. I mean, the Sixers have uh, – have really come into the playoffs playing much better than I expected. Well, yes, you and I, let's be honest, thought uh, we picked Toronto to win this thing in seven games. And uh, right now I'm pretty confident that's not going to happen. Love to be wrong on this one. I just want to read you. There were a series of reports yesterday from local and national reporters, people who cover the NBA, the insiders. Most of them said essentially, you know, it's something that he's going to play through and it's a sprain. Uh, Shams who I'd be honest with you and tell you I don't trust because he is a client of Clutch Sports, which is the same thing that Ben Simmons is a client of. And so while he is a national reporter, I, I, I feel he's tainted. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, he, his text was the most concerning one. Um, his tweet, excuse me, he said, The bigger currently unconfirmed report is that Embiid possibly has a torn ligament in his right thumb but hopes to play through it. And will be, and it will be about pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. Well, if he's got a torn ligament, that's a lot more serious than a sprain. And as they move on through the playoffs, which is a slog, right? I mean, you got to win four rounds. You got to win sixteen games, playing every other night, every third night. It's a lot to ask if it is in fact a torn ligament. Right. Well, um, 
they were saying they were saying they're going to MRI it, but not in Toronto. They're going to wait till they come back to Philadelphia and then determine exactly what the extent of the injury is. But he had his hand he had his hand in a brace and he had the thumb in a wrap, so he's obviously got some issue there. And there's you're right, there's a big difference between a sprain and a torn ligament. If it's a torn ligament, then that that's not going to go away. That's something he's going to have to manage and play with. And you don't want to have your best player, and clearly he's your best player, um, at, at less than 100% in, in the championship round. And by the way, transitioning, he still made one of the, one of the best clutch, most iconic shots I have seen a big man take in the NBA in a long time with that thrilling game winner in overtime the other night. Yeah, it was. It was spectacular. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite Christian Leitner, but it wasn't far off. So why has this series been so much easier than we expected? I don't know. I guess maybe it it tells you the difference between regular season and postseason. You know, the the Toronto beat them three out of four, but that – the end the NBA regular season, that's may not mean exactly what you think it means. Some of it's you know you played them at the time you played them coming off of what, how big was the game in your eyes? How ready were you to play? The regular season, it, I mean, let's face it, uh, most of these teams go through it with one eye closed. Yeah, you, you know? got eighty two games. It's the second night of a back to back. You're playing in another city. It's like you know, it's March. You've already played sixty games. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I thought that, you know, from a matchup standpoint, I thought that it looked like a tougher series. But, you know, it's become pretty obvious. Certainly the two games in Philadelphia, it's obvious that the Sixers are a better team. Uh, and um, in the first two games in Philadelphia, they neutralized what we thought could be a big advantage by the Raptors by uh, not allowing them to dominate the offensive boards. That yeah. wasn't so much the case in Toronto. But, right. The, but it certainly was the case in Philadelphia. They rebounded them. And, right. as, and, you know, and as long as they can hold their own off the glass, then they clearly are the better team because then Toronto can't get out and run and do the things that they want to do. Another surprise to me has been I thought that Nick Nurse was going to outcoach Doc Rivers. Yeah, I think everybody did. And Nick Nurse's method of coaching so far has been mostly whining to the referees. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to nominate Doc Rivers for any big awards yet, but he has won three games and he's done it. And I was impressed the other night when there's, what was it, 2.9 seconds to go in overtime, and this is him on the sideline. George, this is you. Danny, you're taking the ball out. On the hit. On the hit. Bam. Right when he gets past you, George, you're running out. Tobias, you're picking him, and then you're popping. Go early, Danny. All right. And it worked to a T. Yeah, just just the way you drew it up. <laughs> it's it. <laughs> Again, I'm not putting Doc in the Hall of Fame for that one play call, but when you are watching a game and they take you there and you see the coach do it and it works exactly like that and they win the game, hey, give credit where it is. We've ripped Doc Rivers a lot this year. Yes, we have. With cause. Mm-hmm. He deserves to be praised right now. Yeah, true. Okay. True. And the other part of it is, Another rare NBA moment when the players actually did what the coach told them to do. <laughs> they paid attention. How many times do you see the guy diagram the play, call it out, everybody's assignment, 
the horn hound, so horn sounds. The guys walk out on the floor and then they just throw it in bounds yeah. and they do whatever they want to yeah. do. They didn't have Scotty Pippen sulking on the bench this, there. <laughs> this time, the coach draws up the play. The players go out and execute it, and you win. Gee, to, what to, a concept! Tobias Harris with like the the double screen was great. Okay. Want to move on to something else? We will return to all these issues. You're invited to give us a call, 215-592-9494. We got a lot, a lot in the show today, Ray. This is going to be a three-hour sprint. Right. By the way, there is so much news going on right now, we decided to hold off Tell Us Your Story this week. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to give short shrift to any of the big stories going on. Tell Us Your Story will return. Actually, not next week. It's the NFL draft. Right. The week after that, we got a couple good guests lined up. Okay, next issue. Speaking of a shocker, this week, out of, well, not out of nowhere, but out of nowhere as far as we knew, mm -hmm. the best coach in this town decides to retire early. I want to play a little bit. This is Jay Wright yesterday talking about his decision to retire. I, I started to feel um, just like I wasn't, I didn't have the edge that, I, that I've always had, where it just, the edge always came natural to me and I just so I started evaluating it you know sometimes you know I, I would never have to think about anything I did I would just go into a meeting go into a team meeting go into a practice had everything set so I started thinking like better get yourself fired up here you better let, let's go and I said these players we we always ask our players um, you're either 100% in or you're against us and I always thought you know father and Mark Justin Camillo Part of this process was them convincing me not to do this, trying to convince me not to do this, and they did, they're great salesmen and intelligent people. One, one of the times they said, well, 70% of you is as good as anybody else, which I appreciated, but we could, we could never coach that way. You know, we couldn't ask the players, you got to give 100%, and I'm giving 70%. So I just knew it was, it was the right time. Ray, your thoughts? 100% um, authentic, and I believe every word of it. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times in situations like this, people, players, coaches walk away and they have their final press conference. And a lot of guys say the say say what they think they should be saying under the circumstances. But you sit there and you listen and you say, "Ah, you know, I don't know what I believe all that." Um, in Jay Wright's case, I believe a hundred percent of it. I think he, um, I th and it was clear in his in his. Uh, exposition yesterday that he uh, he said that he had arrived at this decision during the course of the year that it was something that he knew that at the end of this year at the end of this year I'm 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 walking away and uh, the only ones who knew it were uh, were his wife his immediate family and his uh, and the superiors at Villanova but everybody kept the secret. Uh, he didn't want to do the farewell tour. He didn't want all of that and stuff. And I, I want to emphasize that for a moment, okay? Right. Because to me, that is tremendously significant. All all these coaches and players, and, and listen, I don't begrudge them. No, not at all. They've earned um, it. But, you know, with Mike Krzyzewski, you had the whole year, oh, this is Mike Krzyzewski's last game here, and this is his last home game. And, this is, and, and he didn't want that victory lap. Right. And that is a rare, rare thing. I give him a lot of credit for it. Again, I don't begrudge a guy who does it. No, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had the greatest one of all time, where he gave him a rocking chair at every place he went. Every every arena when it was final game there, they had a night honoring him. Yeah, and they should. He was the leading scorer in the sure. game's history. But that Jay Wright wanted no part of that. He right. just wanted to, you know, excuse. It, it was what John Cheney said when he was done. Excuse me while I disappear. Right. And that's how Jay did it. Um. 
And the other thing that really struck me in in this regard is he's only 60. Right. Which is young for anybody to retire. And coaches don't retire. Coaches just keep going. Yeah, I know. And he, he, you know, God bless him. I, I don't know what he plans to do. I mean, he, he certainly has the right to go and lay down on a beach and play golf all day if that's what he wants to do. Absolutely. Good for him. Enjoy his family. Um, or maybe he find you know, he says he's going to be involved with the program. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Well, I mean, he's, he's going to be. Uh, what are, he's, what are you going to do? Yeah, he's going to be an assistant to the president. Yeah. Oh, uh, so I, 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 knowing Jay a little bit, I think he understands that he has to keep his distance from the basketball. I agree, and so I, mean, I don't he's know got, what I that mean, means. Kyle Neptune can't. It's going to be hard enough to escape the shadow of Jay Wright. He can't afford to have that shadow be a real shadow every day at practice. So. I think that Jay's smart enough to know that I have I have to just disappear from the basketball program, but be part of the university, be a an ambassador for the university, be a, an advisor to the president, be a presence on the campus, all that kind of stuff. It's very positive, and he could certainly do that. Um, but I, I think you're he's really going to keep he's really going to keep his distance. Remember, remember when John Wooden stepped down at UCLA. Um, I mean, there there was the greatest college basketball coach ever, uh, and retired, and everybody said, "Boy, what's going to be like to follow him?" Um, he maintained his office in the athletic building. Right? I don't remember. And he continued to go to the games and sit behind the bench. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's not good. Who replaced him as coach? Do you remember? Um, God, I can't. Remember. I don't. But it's t- you know we've always say replacing a legend is a really hard thing to do. Yeah, well, and it will be hard for Kyle Neptune, no question about it. No question. Now, he certainly comes in with the blessing of Jay. I mean, he, he was does. Jay's assistant, and he was obviously the guy that Jay wanted. So he comes in with the blessings of the guy going out, which is helps. But I mean, the first time they lose a, a home game, or the first time they blow a ten point lead in the last four minutes. You know, all of a sudden, people are going to say, "I don't know if this. I don't know if he's the guy." Well, here's what Kyle Lampton has to live up to. This is the last nine seasons of Jay Wright: two national titles, three Final Four runs, seven Big East regular season titles, five Big East tournament titles, twenty-two and six in NCAA tournament games. Right, amazing. Twenty-two and six, uh, two hundred and sixty-three and forty-five overall. 83 percent winning percentage, and in Big East regular season games, one hundred and thirty and thirty-one. I mean, nobody can expect to do that. Nobody. So I, I do, you know, you hope that the alums, that the people who have interest, that the fan base says, okay, you know, we're starting over. We got we to gotta have realistic expectations and allow this guy to grow what he's got to grow his way. Things may change. So with Jay, is this a, uh, a Dick Vermeil burnout without the, the popping neck veins? Uh, I think so. I think so. I think it's just, you know, if you if you raise the bar as high as Jay raised it, you reach a point where you just say, "How can I get?" You know, you raise it to a point where even you can't get over it. You know, and I I think that that's kind of what it was, and the the pressure that builds on you, the expectation that builds on you, the demands of it, the, the demands of the job, the time, the recruiting, the pressure, the travel, yeah. the responsibility of the kids. Yeah. You know. Making sure that they're making sure they're going to class, making sure everything's kind of in place. I mean, it's they're your responsibility, and I think I don't know that every college basketball coach feels it, but I think he did. 
I think he felt like he was responsible for these kids, not just as athletes, but as students and as citizens. And that's one of the great, I mean, you read off all the statistics, and we all know the statistics, how many games he won, his winning percentage, the two, all the final fours, the two championships. But the other part of it that's equally amazing, if not more amazing, was he did it all without a hint of scandal. Yes. I mean, his, I mean, his kids, by and large, graduated. There was never any misbehavior, kids getting in trouble off the campus. The kids graduated is a big deal. It was not a one-and-done school. No. I mean, Krzyzewski stayed successful. These kids went to Duke for a year, and then they left. Right. You go to play for Jay, you're going to play for Jay for the long term. Yeah, and even the kids who did leave early all said they were going to come back and get their degree, and they, and, and they have by and large. So, I mean, he built this tremendous winning program without the advantages that went to the bigger state schools. He did all that. And did it while running a clean program at a time when you hardly ever find those anymore. Yeah. So he made it he made it work on every front, but there's no question that it was it was a total absorption twenty four seven job that I think just finally wore him down. An amazing legacy, and I will say, and I know this is going to sound stupid and self centered and so on, but I think it's more than me. He made me a Villanova fan, mm-hmm. and I was not a Villanova fan. Yeah, I know I mean, that. I, you know, I worked at St. Joe's, so I had my loyalty there for a long time, but I always carried the, you know, Raleigh Massimino grudge, break up the Big Five, that whole thing. There was the other four schools, and there was Villanova, and then it bugged me. And Jay, I, I think Jay worked, I mean, it wasn't his primary motivation, but he, he knew people in town felt that way. Whenever you would hear Jay talk, he would bring in Philadelphia basketball. Always. He would talk about the Big Five, big part of Coaches Against Cancer, the whole thing, uh, part of the fraternity. And um, ran everything that you said and his terrific personality took people like me who didn't used to root for Villanova and made us root for Villanova. He put he put the whole metropolitan area behind Villanova. You know, it stopped being that the nonsense talk of like, eh, it's not a Philadelphia school. Right. That faded away. Not entirely, but it faded away. And it's because of him. Right. Uh, it, so it, the greatest it, legacy he's 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 that of anybody in this state. Well the funny and the funny part is you go back, you dial the clock back twenty one years to when he was hired. And when he was hired, there was a lot of Jay Wright, Hofstra. I mean, really? I mean, this is the guy who's going to take over the program? He's going to take over Villanova? I mean, there were a lot of people that were scratching their heads saying, I don't know. And, and then he came in and merely became the greatest coach um, in, a ta- in a town that has produced many, many great college basketball coaches, Hall of Famers, worthy Hall of Famers. Um, he came in and accomplished more than any of them. Uh, and did it with with real style and uh, real grace. So um, I was shocked when you know my wife walked into the room the other night and said, "Hey, I just saw it on, online Jay Wright's resigning." I said, "What? I mean, talk about one you never saw coming." But um, you know, he did it the right way, and I hope. Uh, and you could see the emotion yesterday. How tough this was for him. Uh, I mean, how many times he choked up? Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but yeah, it was—I think it was a lot of—I think I went—I went through it with Dick Vermeil in '82. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't a surprise because I think no people saw that coming. Those that was of the us, year of the, the 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 strike and everything kind of went south and Bloom was off the road. Those of us that were around Dick saw the strain that he was under, and so when that came along, it was not a, a shock. This to me was a shock. Yeah. Yeah, and well, listen, they got to the Final Four and nobody got a sense of it, so yes. No. All right, one other thing. As I said, we have so much to bring up today. Um, 
In terms of Jay Wright, in terms of, I mean, the big story, the Sixers play this afternoon. We're going to talk about that a lot. We have a couple of good guests to talk about that. Uh, in terms of the NFL draft, which we're going to do the Ray Edinger draft report in the next segment. I see we already have a caller who wants to talk about the draft. Andy, we'll get to you in the next segment. In terms of uh, the Phillies, in terms of everything else, I want to work just a little Eagles into the first segment. All right. And I didn't want to start it with a big, big issue. But I do want to go from the gun. Steps up. There's room in front of him. Looks deep. Zings it downfield. It's caught. Arthago Whiteside strolls in. Touchdown, Eagles. Joe Flacco making it happen. Now, Ray, we didn't get enough of that over the last two years. Uh, and no. I'm not referring to Flacco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to find a J.J. Arthago Whiteside highlight, and to be honest, it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. But that was one. In an effort to save his disappointing career, it was announced this week that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, by the way, 6'2", 225. Which, right. So he's not the biggest guy in the locker room. Is going to be moving from wide receiver to tight end uh, and, and, and thus rekindle his burnt-out career. Ray? Right. I'll ask this as openly as, as as I can. Does this have even a shot in hell? Well, it depends on what your expectations are. For I him mean, to make the roster and be a contributor. I mean, are you talking on the, the Rob Gronkowski scale? Are you no. expecting this to be a, I'm a about, total reinvention? Uh, no, a, a contributor. Well, I think that they could... I think if you just think of him in terms of being your number two tight end uh, and a guy who's going to play on all your special teams, can he be that? Yeah, he can be that. I mean, you've already got the tight end that you're really going to throw the ball to in Dallas Goddard. So what you're talking about now is who's the two, who's the number two when you go two tight ends. Well, they Could got he- the Jack Stoll guy who didn't impress me. They got that Tyree Jackson, that six foot seven kid who sounded great until we saw him play, and then he got hurt. And then he got hurt. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, the coaches last summer at training camp were very excited about Jackson. Oh yeah. But I mean, you got to well, I mean, he's, a, he's an intriguing package. I mean, he's six seven. He's almost six eight, uh, two hundred and fifty pounds. But he's a quarterback who's learning how to play tight end. So he's got a long way to go before he's NFL ready. Uh, and then he finishes the year with a knee injury that who knows when he's going to recover from that. Yeah, we're, we're off the topic. My question is, is J.J. Ortega-Whiteside ever going to be worth a damn? Um, That's the official question. Uh, as Depending on how you want to use him. I mean, is he, is he, going, to, is it, is he going to be a revelation? That's, I guess that's kind of what you're asking. Will he, go, right. will he go to tight end and become a real significant contributor? Bring him in on third down, make some clutch catches, 20 to 30 catches over the course of the year, throw a block or two, be a contributor. Okay. I, I, my vote is I would be shocked if he is. You know, I guess they'd look for mismatches or whatever. That's it. But um, uh, you seem to – I'm sensing from you an affirmative. Um. Only because... I was here to mock J.J. Arthago Whiteside. Well, no, no, no. You're here to praise him. No, no, no. I understand where I'm setting the bar. I'm setting the bar pretty low. You're going to have to have that other tight end. Uh, and the coaches really thought that he was a good special teams player. Oh, and they blocker. Liked, they told us how he can block. And he, he's, he's a willing cover guy, so he will do a lot of the dirty work on special teams, which you need somebody to do that. 
Uh, and if your expectations are that the second tight end isn't going to be the focal point of the offense, that all you need for him to come in and maybe make a catch here and there and block a little bit, can he do that? Yeah, I think he can do that. Is it too early to make a stupid football bet? Because I would bet he doesn't make the roster. Really? Yes. What do you want to bet? doesn't have to be dinner. It could be something smaller. That he doesn't make the roster. Yeah. That when they kick it off in September that he's not a Philadelphia Eagle. Really? Yeah, I'll make the bet. What do you want to bet? He's not even on the practice squad? That he's not even – practice uh, squad's not on the varsity. That he's not – okay, the bet is – He's got to be on the varsity. He's got to dress. He's got to be one of the 53. Yes. Opening day, that yes. he's one of your 53 yes. wearing, wearing the Kelly green. Yeah, yeah. When you well, want no, to... he won't be wearing Kelly green. Wearing, the, wearing a uniform. Yeah. I think he will be. Uh, well, we got a bet. All you right, have to figure what. Again, I don't want to. I don't want to do a three hundred dollar dinner, but I would. I would bet. You know, lunch. I, I'll bet. I'll bet. Here's what I'll bet: six cups of coffee versus six diet cokes. Fair enough. There you go. We got a deal. All right. Coming up on the show day, uh, Amy Fadul. Excuse me, mm-hmm. Leslie Goodell, Amy Fadul. I've confused them. Amy Fadul is going to join us to talk about Sixers. Mm-hmm. Uh, really interesting guest in the 11 o'clock hour, Jack McCallum, one of the great basketball writers in this country over the last 30, 40 years. And by the way, a guy who wrote a biography of Jerry West yep. is going to come on with, and by the way, a guy who once worked with Ray Dinger back in the day. Worked with me at the Philadelphia Bulletin. Is going to come on and talk with us about how realistic or not the hit HBO show Winning Time is. I have a feeling I know where Jack's coming down on this. <laughs> Just a wild guess. We got a great shibe this week in Philadelphia sports history that may involve Allen Iverson. We're going to take your calls on all nature of things. Uh, coming up next, after the break, Ray Dinger gives his NFL draft preview. 215-592-9494. We've got room for you. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now on 90. 90- we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. We are now a mere five days away from the... Wait, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Five days away from the NFL draft, which means... It's time for the Ray Dinger NFL Draft Preview. Ray, can I actually start it by asking you a question to set it up? Go right ahead. All right, so I've been reading all the draft stuff, uh, and I would love to see the Eagles focus on defense. And uh, two guys who I respect both kind of wrote the same thing in the last week. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who I believe you respect, Zach Berman of The Athletic, who's good. Mm-hmm. But both more or less said, if everything falls perfectly for the Eagles, if it all falls the Eagles' way, 
the dream pick would be Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety. Mm-hmm. To which I thought, oh. Oh, you like that? Oh, gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Possible? Are sure. these? Are they dreaming? Zach Berman uh, driving over to New Jersey for the marijuana dispensary? No, 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 no. It's, he may live in Jersey. I don't know. No, it is possible. It is possible. I wouldn't say that it's likely, mm. but possible. Um, and this this ties in very nicely with the position I was going to talk about today, because today I was going to talk about safeties. I mean, last Sweet. week, we, last week we talked cornerbacks. Uh, so this week I was going to talk about safeties, and then the Kyle Hamilton conversation begins. Um, for the folks who don't know who Kyle Hamilton is, uh, he's a safety uh, from Notre Dame. Um, and he's six feet four, and he's two hundred twenty pounds, which is unusually big for a safety, but uh, has really terrific skills. I mean, a really, really unique kind of unicorn player back there. You just don't see safeties who have his kind of size and his kind of range and his kind of instinct. But he's got the full package right now. And there are a lot of people. Oh, I would say at the end of the college football season, that were projecting Kyle Hamilton as a top three pick. I mean, they were putting him in that he was going to go not just in the first round, but in the top three or four. Uh, but as often happens, you know, you get into your testing and the guys get out their stopwatches and then all of a sudden, oh, geez, I thought he was going to run a 4-4-5. Four, four, now he's running a 4-6. Uh-oh. And then the word starts getting out and the guy starts to drop and he drops a little bit, then he drops a little bit more and he drops a little bit more. And now... Now, who knows how it's going to play out next week, but but based on some conversations that I have had with some people who are in the personnel business, they think it's entirely possible that Kyle Hamilton will fall out of the top 10, uh, which would put him in 11-12, which would put him within reach yeah. of the Eagles. Now, I don't, I, don't think if you're, I don't think you can sit there at 15 and expect him to fall into your lap, but if he falls out of the top 10... Howie Roseman would be in a position where he could package their number one and maybe one of their two third-round picks mm-hmm. and move up four spots and have a shot at picking a guy who is, number one, clearly the best safety in this draft. There's not even any question about that. And a guy that not all that long ago was being talked about as a top-three pick overall. Yes, in answer to your question, the Jeremiah-Zach Berman scenario is possible. And, Ray? Correct me if I'm wrong. Safety not currently a strength of this franchise. Uh, no, no. At the moment, in, by my reckoning, by at, right now they have one. You know, they've got Anthony Harris, who's the guy they signed who's, last year. It's not great. Who you know came in last year and uh, was frankly underwhelming. You know, he wasn't terrible, but he certainly wasn't a difference-making player. They've let Rodney McLeod go. Um, you know, and they've got a couple of other guys that are just kind of there, but. They aren't guys that you want to go into the season and feel good about. So if you have a chance to make a trade up for a couple of spots and get a Kyle Hamilton, boy, I think that would be uh, I think that would be pretty pretty shrewd. And I also think it could very well happen. Nice. All right. Short of that, other safeties to look at. Okay, other safeties to look at. Uh, my top five. My number two guy is Lewis Seen. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna roll your eyes when I tell you this. He plays at the University of Georgia. I mean, how many oh, Georgia? There you go. <laughs> how many? How many Georgia guys have I talked about? All on defense, by the way. Uh, but he was the best safety on the Georgia team. Uh, he was actually the leading tackler on the Georgia team. Six one, two hundred pounds. Ran a four four nine. Can really move it. Uh, good solid tackler. 
uh, and probably the most physical of all the safeties in this draft. If you're looking at a guy that's going to come up and really stick a guy with the with the with the football, a guy that's going to be a guy that's going to discourage receivers from coming over the middle, Lewis Seen is your guy. Um, the next guy is a Penn Stater, uh, and is Jaquan Brisker, who six one two zero five ran a four five. Um, another solid player, very good at getting off blocks, very good form wrap-up, take him to the ground tackler. Uh, I think he's more of a zone player than opposed than, say, a one-on-one man-to-man player. I think he has some limitations in coverage, so this would fall into the lap of your defensive coordinator that if you want to play a lot of zone and you want to play your safeties in the box and not give them a whole lot of man-to-man coverage responsibilities, I think Jaquan Brisker would be a good fit for you. Uh, Jalen Petrie is my number four from Baylor. Um, a guy is six feet tall, 195 pounds, very fast, 4'4". Four, four. He's more of a ball hawk, take the ball away kind of guy. If you're looking for a guy who's just a good, solid tackler, sort of an in-the-box safety, Brisker is probably be more your taste. If you're looking for a guy who's going to play center field and get you some interceptions and get you some takeaways, uh, Jalen Petrie is probably that guy. Mm-hmm. And my number five guy is, and another really good player, is is Dexton Hill. Uh, same sort of size, 6 feet, 190 pounds, also 4-4 speed. Probably the best pure cover guy. He went to the University of Michigan. If you're looking, and again, this comes down to how you want to use your safeties. If you want to look for a safety who's who is scheme versatile, in other words, a guy that can play deep, a guy who can play in the box, but can also, if a team goes to a spread formation, move up and play man-for-man on, say, a slot receiver. Daxton Hill has that kind of one-on-one coverability. He could actually probably be – he actually be, be a, uh, play a little corner if you needed him. He could play in the slot if you needed him. Uh, he also can blitz off the edge. He's got some versatility to him, but more of a cover guy than a hitter. But clearly, I mean, I mean clearly, the class of this group is Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. Nice. Like it. We will do more tomorrow. I would love to see the Eagles – Get one of those guys. All right, let's go to Andy, who's been hanging. He's got a draft question. Andy, what's on your mind today? Uh, good morning, fellas. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, man. Thank good you. talking to you guys. Hey, um, Ray, we talked about a couple weeks ago. We talked about, in a, in a perfect world, the three picks. We definitely would use them on defense. Now, <laughs> we're down to the two. And we agreed that uh, safety, edge rusher, and linebacker would be our priority. Mm-hmm. Now, my question to you is, and I'm going to hang out, I want to try to be as fast as I can to see your opinion on this. Would there be any chance, besides Kyle Hamilton, which, hey, remember Don Burroughs, remember the Blade Ray, six foot four? Oh, I'm sure. I have a six foot four safety, man. Oh, dude, I would love to have him, but I don't know. According to other sources, they said they might trade up to get Jordan Davis. Now, we talked about him, and we said, without a doubt, would we grab him as an interior lineman because he has so many with him. He can rush the passer. He can shut the run down. Now, Travis Jones, is a, he's a run stuffer. We talked about him. Now, his stock has moved up a little bit with Devontae Wyatt. But my question to you is, would you do the Jordan Davis, and would you try to get, for the second round, Devin Lloyd? Because I would hate to see Devin Lloyd go to the Cowboys and pair up with Parsons. That, that would be pretty uh, tragic right there. Would you do the Jordan Davis and Trav- and Devin Lloyd, or would you do the uh, Jordan Davis and the Kobe Dean if that's what we the situation right. would have in hand? All right. Well, you're thinking uh, you've really locked in on two positions here. You've locked in on on uh, defensive tackle and uh, linebacker. Um, I really like Jordan Davis. Uh, I I don't know. 
there's a real um, there there are very different opinions on Jordan Davis. Yeah, did you see uh, the, what's his name, Cosell, Greg Cosell? Uh, no. Said uh, he was on with our pal Ross Tucker and said he doesn't he doesn't move people. Well, yeah, but nobody moves him either. <laughs> I'm merely quoting the guy, Ray. He's um, uh, he would not be. That doesn't surprise me. Jordan Davis would not be a Greg Cosell kind of player. Uh, I think that, and I've and I've heard that from, and it's not just Greg. I mean, I've heard it from some other people too. Is that they question a lot of people question the value of drafting defensive tackles um, because everybody's thinking in terms of pass rush, and they don't think that you're going to get pass rush from interior linemen. Everybody, that's why everybody wants to load up on the edge guys. And look, you've got a lot of good edge guys in this draft. I understand that, but I think that I think people kind of look at Jordan Davis and and characterize him as a, as Haloti Nada. And he's, he's a lot more athletic and a lot quicker off the ball than Nada is, which I think to me translates into pa- interior pass rush. Is he going to be, you know, is he going to be Aaron Donald? No, I don't think he's going to be that. But for the people who suggest that, well, you're not going to get any pass rush from him and that he's a guy that every time you go to your nickel coverage, he's going to have to come off the field. Uh, I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that he's, a good enough athlete, and if you watched enough film of him, I mean, my goodness, how many 350-pound guys do you see running sideline to sideline making tackles? Yeah, I'm good with him. I mean, I, he, can I, do, he can do all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't – there are some people that are very, very high on him. I'm kind of in that camp. And then there are other people that just say, oh, he's just another big guy. Um, and I honestly don't know where the Eagles fall in this. But to me, if you put him on the Eagles' defensive line in a rotation with Hargrave and Cox – I think that you're a team that's going to be pretty formidable on the defense. Works for me. Our friend Linda Inbala is with us. What's up, our friend Linda Inbala? Two of my favorite fellas. Mr. Uh, Didinger, Leticia, and Ramona Bulldog were here to see everyone yesterday. Uh-huh. And when I told them, because they're both rescue pups, And I told them I was going to speak to you. They slobbered all over the new rug downstairs. (laughs) I just wanted you to know that they were celebrating and everything. People often do that when they hear my name. Yeah, so so yeah, they slobber all over the rugs. Yeah, that's that's not uncommon, Linda. (laughs) Um, Mr. Uh, Macnell, happy birthday, dear. Oh, thank you so much. I was going to let you get away with not saying anything. Well, listen, you sent me a card, which I appreciate very much, and I I thank you so much for this. Two short things. Uh, My Phillies renewed hope. Uh, My Sixers hair raising. One last thing. Uh, R. Diddy, please. Mm. I don't care what the Eggles do. None of these sh- short little speedy guys. I want a monster. Oh. Okay? Uh, a huge monster like Lurch. Uh, <laughs> Is Ted Hendricks in this draft, Ray? <laughs> I love you. I'll see you later. Hi, Lynn. We love you. <laughs> That would be that would work. That was um uh what do you call it? Our favorite uh, uh longest yard. Wasn't there the the character Oh yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. I forget the name of the actor, but he was he was the huge huge guy. Yes. Yeah. Richard um Keel. Richard Keel. That's it. Yeah. And he was he yeah, he played the uh right. he played the big massive guy in the middle of the right. defensive line. That's what Linda wants for the Eagles. That's good. I mean well, Jordan Davis certainly fits the bill. Yeah. 215 592 We'll get a little Phillies 
into the conversation when we get back. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Oxberger bent at the waist, looks in for the sign. Now ready. Here's the 2-2 pitch. Swung on, ground ball, right side, it's through. Base hit. Harper scores. Castellanos coming around third. The throw from right is late. And Alec Bohm has put the Phillies on top with a two-run single here in the bottom of the eighth inning. All right, Ray, we've learned a couple of things. One, all right, the Phillies aren't going to go 162-0. That's already been established. That's been established. A little bit of a rough start. Coming back. The only thing that concerns me, and again, it's, it is April 23rd, so nothing concerns me, except the Mets keep winning. Yes. Right? The, the Braves are losing. The Marlins, other than beating the Phillies, aren't doing anything. No. But the Mets are winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want the Mets to get off to you know an eight-game lead, and then you got to be chasing them all summer. Yeah. I, what is it today? A couple of days ago, it was up to five games I mean, that, that they were up. I believe the Mets are nine and four, maybe. The Phillies are seven and eight, so that's five. Then that's five. Okay, yeah. that that was where it was four the last half, time I saw. Yeah, you're right. You don't want them to run away and hide. Right. Okay. Um, but what you heard uh, on that highlight was the game-winning RBI last night. Bottom of the eighth inning as I'm driving home from my son's house. Last day of Passover, Alex and Nathan. Phenomenal, Sater. Uh, anyway, we're driving home. I turn on the guys, and there's Scott Fransky. As the Phillies are down 2-1, to one, load up the bases, and Boehm drives in two runs. Mm-hmm. He is now hitting 440. With an on base of 455, a slugging percentage of 640. Uh, he also, Ray, as you are well aware, having given him the nickname of the corner butcher, mm-hmm. one of two, can't field. Correct. But he hits. Yes. What do you do? Well, um, you got to keep him in the lineup. Um, you just got to figure out where to put him. You know, I thought that last year. Um, Last year he didn't hit or field. Correct. <laughs> and and people pretty much wanted to wash their hands of him all together. And I as as much as I I kind of avert my eyes when he's playing third base, but I I really I was not prepared to give up on him as an offensive player because I think that what we saw the first year was legit. I think he can swing the bat. Um so yeah, I think you know, I think he's got value. I think he's a guy that can uh, fit nicely into your into your lineup. You just got to find a position for him. Because it's not third base, no. Well, but it looks like they're going. It looks like they're determined to keep putting them out there. Well, because you got Hoskins at first, who's I mean, not after a great start, but he's after a decent start. And you know, when Hoskins starts hitting home runs in bunches, Hoskins is a good. Yeah, he's hot player. cold. He's cold right now. I mean, he's striking out a ton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's still. I, I think his OPS is like seven fifty. He's not. He's not disastrous at this point. But he's not doing what you know he can do. As we've said many times, they have too many guys who play the same positions. And now Harper's got the uh, elbow thing, so he's DH. So he's purely a DH. So you got Castellanos and Schwarber both out in the outfield. Uh, I don't have a good answer. And by the way, Camargo looks – I'm not saying Camargo is going to be a, a everyday player, let alone a good one, but I think he's, he looks like a nice, valuable guy to pick up. Yeah, but he's not a shortstop. You know? No, And I that's know. where they're playing them because I they know. don't have a shortstop right now. I mean, they're a, they're a weird defensive team. They have a whole bunch of guys playing out of position. Yes, although defense is not what's cost them games, by and large, ironically. No, no, it's, it's cost them a couple along the way, but not, not a not a ton. But yeah, I mean, they're they got a whole bunch of guys that play in positions that they shouldn't be playing. I, I you know, to me, Bohm is 
He's a first baseman or a DH. I, he's not. He's, so, he's not a third baseman. So the answer is they got to make a trade at some point this season and say, "Hey, you know what? We can get a number three starting pitcher for Reese Hoskins or for Alec Bohm, and then therefore you solve the problem of too many guys at that end of the defensive spectrum, and you get something good in return." Right. Yeah, that's what I think. I kind of think that's where this is headed. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, one other thing on the Phillies. I was so unhappy to see Odubel Herrera back. Well, you knew it was coming. I, I, I knew it was coming. I was, I was in a pleasant denial. Mm. Well, I mean, if Mickey Moniak, I was ignoring it. If Mickey Moniak hadn't been hit by the pitch, you know, we might not be here right now. But the fact is, he's out for a few more weeks, and they needed somebody to play center field. Yeah, I know. I. Could, yeah. I, I don't. I don't like him as a guy, and I don't like him as a player. The, you know, it's like no. there's, there's nothing redeeming about Odubel Herrera. No, and I, you know, I, I don't dumb. Think, I don't think a whole lot of people expected to see him back in the picture this year. I think they kind of thought yeah. at the end of last year, okay, we're that's the end of him. We can certainly do better. You would hope you could do better, but now he's back, and right now you don't have a whole lot of answers in center field. So yeah, Odubel Herrera is back in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's not going to go well. No. All right, let us talk to Scott in Florida. He's got some thoughts on the NFL draft. Scott, what do you got? Well, good morning. Uh, actually, I called Howard. I got to say quickly, um, he said uh, greatest event in Philadelphia. Wait, you called history. Howard today? Yeah, but I, I was pushed over to you, which is even better. Okay. It's twice as good, okay? Okay. <laughs> But the event in Philadelphia, okay. the historic event in Philadelphia, would be the ringing of the Liberty Bell. Okay, but nothing can I, be I, I have no idea what that refers to, but please give us something that's relevant to our show. Okay, now now I've got a pre and a very important pre-draft trade. Okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna trade Harry Roseman to WIP for Ray Dinninger. All right. Well, <laughs> next time you call. See if okay, Howard can get you else. on by the end of his show. I think that would be better for all of us. I think that's a better fit. You think? Yeah. I don't think that the Roseman. He's not that good in the radio. I've heard. I don't think <laughs> that. Do I don't show. think. Yeah. I don't think the Roseman for Diddinger transaction is going to happen. <laughs> As I said, I've done a show with Howie Roseman. Ray, I'll take you. Really? Selfishly. I'd rather you be here than Oh, that's right. He did a he, one whole season. He did a Monday. Uh, more than more a, than one, yeah. Ask the GM show, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was they they did and they did it live from Chickies, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Howie would uh come over from the office and You know how many sound rub elbows with the there? uh with, with the with the unwashed masses? Oh, and 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 listen, I like Howie. I think Howie gets a bum rap sometimes. And I think some people are biased against Howie because he he doesn't have that big, deep voice, and he's not six foot four, and thus, in many people's mind, he's not a football guy, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. That's that's the that's the ubiquitous term, right? But the, he did not always guy. help himself when we're doing the show, and he and he somebody say like, "Hey, Howie, what about this?" Go, like, "Hey, far out, man!" Mm-hmm. And we got all these sound drops that we used for like three or four years. Hundred percent, man. That was hundred percent, man. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Certain quotes will just live forever. Again, That's one of them. I like Howie. Yeah, I do too. I don't want to do the show with him. No, no, <laughs> do the show with you. It's a oh, you know, there's probably um, it, you're, you're it's probably ill advised for a general manager to do a radio show. 
you know, let the coaches do it, let the players do it. Yeah, because he's got to lie too. Yeah, the GM is 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 really it, it, the GM in the NFL is really one of those better to be seen and not well, heard. Let me ask you kind this. of roles, okay? Because we don't do a lot of those these days. What we do more now is the Monday, the day after call to Angelo. Right. Right. Uh, and and Girardi did. We don't have it this year, but we had the Girardi thing with the Gabe Kapler thing with Angelo. Oh, that was something special. Uh, and we've done those kind of shows before, <laughs> right? Yeah. We haven't done a coach's show in a while, but those things go back in history on stations all the, all the time, right? Sure. How many of those were ever any good? No, none. Right? None. Was there ever a coach from your experience? The Buddy one, the Buddy TV show. Yeah, the show Buddy was one. Pretty, that was fun. Because he Bud, didn't care. Because Buddy just didn't care. Yeah. yeah. Buddy, just, Buddy would just say whatever he wanted to right. say. He'd rip guys. Yeah. I mean, most, most coaches and even players, you know, they know what they can say and what they can't say. They're not going to, you're not going to get them to rip anybody. You're not going to get them to say, talk badly about the team that they're going to play. You're not going to get them to, after a bad loss, tell you who screwed up. You know they're going to they're going to cover 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 cover. You know they're going to double talk, circle back, all right. that kind of stuff. Nor do they want to provide so-called bulletin board material for the other team, so they'll give you the you know the the Lou Holtz like oh we're really nervous about playing Navy. It's like, right, come on. Right. You know the so, worst of all those was yeah. the Andy Reid one. Yeah, that was the worst of the worst, and and only would take questions that were pre-screened for content. Yeah, well, Marion Campbell did the same thing. Is that right? When Marion was the head coach, yeah, and I. I was guest on that show one time, and I came in, and uh, they and the producer said to me, "Okay, here are the questions." And he and I said, "Wait a minute, people aren't going to call in." He said, "Well, they're going to make it sound like they're calling." Yeah, in, well, but yeah. they're actually on tape because yeah. Marion wanted to be able to pre-screen the questions that are being asked him. Said, well, that's no fun. Yeah, but that was but, Andy. But as you pointed out, correctly pointed out, that buddy. Just didn't care. Right. I mean, Buddy just didn't flat that out didn't care. That guy's a waste of a uniform on our team, and we may move on. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, who the hell are the Cowboys? We beat them all Loves the time. Anyway. I mean, he didn't care. First story I ever covered for the Inquirer, ever, when I joined, is they sent me to Ribbit to, to cover Steve <laughs> yeah. Fredericks doing the Buddy Ryan show. Oh, yeah, I remember. That was my introduction. And uh, Buddy was, was new, right? And there was a woman there wearing a T-shirt that said, my favorite teams are the Eagles and whoever beats the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a very snug T-shirt. Okay. And she wore it well. Buddy would have liked that. Oh, yeah. And she's jumping up and down. And Buddy sees it and goes like, that's right. That's right. That's, that's right. And, and he was just kind of, I got the sense like, learning why he, you know, like how this was a big deal. Right. And learning how to play it. Right. And he did. And he and Steve, by the way, that was a fun show. They had a good relationship. Him and Steve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When when Steve got uh, cancer and was in the – or a heart attack, excuse me. Steve had a heart attack and was in the hospital. Buddy came to visit him. Mm -hmm. And then Buddy said, what can I do for you? And then for the next week, Buddy Ryan – Drove to Steve's house in Havertown and walked his dog. Really? How about that? That's pretty good. Yeah. I got to get this call in before the top of the hour. It's an old friend, and I hope he's feeling well. Mitchie Tools, how are you feeling, Mitch? I'm doing good. Hey, good. Hi, Ray. How you doing? Hello, Mitch. Nice to hear from you again. I think it's the last time I talked to you. Sopranos was on HBO. It's been a <laughs> I think I think you're right. Yeah, it's been a while. 
You know, you know me with with sports. I'll talk a little bit, but then there's a couple little other things. Uh, I mean, the Phillies. It's too early to to talk about them, you know. But the Eagles. We do need defense, defense, defense. You know, like an Andre the Giant kind of guy. We need somebody to, you know, stop the run. And all first, that we kind got of. Lurch, and now we've got Andre the Giant. Ray, this is a hell of a defense. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. God bless. Um, I have what well, you know me with with you know with movies and TVs. I have something on Netflix. Have you guys ever seen Bloodline? Oh, love it. Oh yeah, that is great. Um, sometimes I'm I'm slow on the draw, but this is no. Yeah, it's a couple of years old, but the first two seasons of that. I don't know if it went more than two, but the first two seasons of that were a very good show. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, but you know, and the Sixers later this afternoon. I I feel really confident they'll they'll wrap it up today. So. On to uh, Florida. Mitch, be well. Nice yes. to hear from you. we got to take a break coming up this week in Philadelphia Sports History, presented by Shive Sports. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack, now Saturday morning, 94 WIP. We've got Sixers later today. Amy Fadul is going to join us at noon, talk about that. She does a great job uh, on uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia pre and post. Actually, her uh, TV partner, Jim Lynham, is going to join us tomorrow. After the Sixers game today, we are talking a lot about the NFL draft. We've got the Phillies in the equation as well. There is a Flyers, a very serious story with the Flyers. I want to bring up by the end of the show. And Jay Wright on the agenda. But, Ray, right now, it is time for this week in Philadelphia sports history, brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at ShiveSports.com. All right, Ray, Sixers uh, being the story of the day. I decided we are going back to April 24th, 2001, one day shy of 21 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's the Sixers-Pacers, first round of the NBA playoffs. Three days earlier, the Sixers, you remember, Sixers had finished first in the, in the conference in the regular season, lose game one at home, 79-78. to 78. I remember that game. I remember... Nobody could make a shot. Iverson that day, 7 for 19 with 16 points. It's a horrible game. But game two, that, my friend, is a little bit different. First appearance of the night. From the outside, oh, Iverson. He's on fire. Starting, 35. Starting to feel it. Geiger, 15 feet away, back to Iverson. Out of Iverson again. Just about a handoff there. Iverson put it up. And oh my I was going to say finally a miss, but it went down. Oh my goodness! See, I- Iverson just feeling it, shoots it short, <laughs> bounces off the backboard, goes sky high, and drops. And you see Iverson thanking whoever will listen. Allen Iverson, 18 points, third quarter alone, 41 for the night. 16 points is all he had in game one. Well, Ray, actually 19 points in the third quarter of that game. 45 points for the game. The Sixers win it and tie. I think it's 116 to 102. I should look it up. And tie it up uh, and go on to win the best of five in four. And I will tell you. I'm really hoping this year is that long run because that year, I wasn't here in 82, 83. Mm -hmm. Uh, I moved here in 86. That year was the most fun, exciting, 
magnetic, just drew everybody in year of basketball I've ever seen in this town. It was. It was really uh, – you, you said it. It was fun. It was, it was, it was just fun. Uh, Iverson was uh, one, of the most, one of the most electrifying athletes we've seen come through this city in any sport, really. Um, frustrating at times. Uh, both on the floor and off. Uh, off, definitely. As, you know, <laughs> Ask our friend Billy King. <laughs> we, uh, you know, when, when, we had, uh, <laughs> when we had Larry Brown on for Tell Us Your Story, I mean, he, he talked about what it was like to try and coach the guy. Uh, but as a talent, oh, my. And, and really, in many ways, a, a great fit for the fans of Philadelphia. I mean, he, this is a passionate town, you know, and they like athletes that lay it on the line. And, you know, maybe not at practice, but certainly – in the real games, I mean, he gave you 110% effort, and that night was just an awesome, awesome display of basketball. To think that a guy his size in this era of the NBA could be that dominant uh, is pretty rare. That night, April 24th, 2001, he plays 46 minutes of the 48, 15 for 27 on field goals, 3 for 7 on three-pointers, Twenty, excuse me, 12 for 14 on free throws, 9 assists. Uh, 45 points. And by the way, uh, Reggie Miller, no slouch himself. No. 44 points in the loss. It was a great game, and it was a really fun series. I mean, the Sixers win it, and then uh, was Milwaukee next? I forget the order of who they beat. Toronto, Milwaukee, uh, and then on to the Lakers. It was such a fun postseason. Remember, people were driving around with Sixers flags on their cars. On the car, on the antennas, yeah. right? All over the place. Yeah, all over the place. Yeah, they really took over the city. I mean, that's. I mean, every everywhere you went, um, there were people had Sixers banners in their windows, uh, the little flags on the car antennas, uh, everywhere. I mean, it was it was just a very very tattoos. Ex- very exciting time. Pat Croce came into the studio uh, when we were doing the show. I was doing middays with Anthony and got a tattoo <laughs> that year. <laughs> and, and people were, were doing the dreadlocks for Iverson. It was it, Everybody was doing everything. It was great. Maybe this team catches that wave and maybe the fan base. Listen, the fan base is involved in the Sixers. I don't mean to suggest not, but nothing was like that year. Right. And I would love to see that come back, and I would love to see Embiid have that kind of extended postseason. Yeah, I guess it seems like it's almost a foregone conclusion that he's not going to be the MVP. Uh, yeah, which is which fuels him more, so it, it's it okay. Kind of, it kind of seems to be driving him, but, I mean, game three in the Toronto series, if you're talking about an MVP performance, there it was. Yeah, that was a, um, I hope, I hope that's one of those game-winning shots that is remembered for years to come because it's significant along the way, right? Right. I mean, if they lose in the next round, then it's kind of forgotten. If they go on extended run, they get to the finals. It's like, yeah, and you know, remember that shot, boy, that was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe that'll be uh, maybe that shot will be the equivalent of the the Jake Elliott sixty one yard field goal. There you go. Well, that would be okay. Let's talk to John in Maniunk. What's on your mind today, John? Hey, Ray, it's time for the final Matazara punter draft of the hey, year. Hey, John, do me a favor. Are you on a speakerphone or something? It would be better if you uh, pick up the... Uh... Uh, uh, no, I'm not on speaker. Sorry. Can you hear me okay? A little bit. Sort of. Yeah, not great. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, it's going about Matazara. I was on the site, and they said he might go in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. And 
I was reading up on him. He's got a little versatility. He can kick field goals and kick off, kick offs. What do you think? Uh, the punter, you mean? Yes, not his error. You do know. I, I I don't mean to. Uh, you know we've we've not that you're compelled to listen, but we've discussed this a lot. Oh yeah, I know. I know. Okay. And then I am the world's biggest Manazaria fan. That's why I'm bringing it up. There you go, Ray. Fourth round, we're locked in. Um, come on, Ray. I don't. I don't argue against that. There you go. Ray's I mean, in. If really, if if the fifth round, they got three picks. Um, I would certainly, I would certainly take him in the fifth round. I would use. You got three picks there. I don't know if he's going to get to the fifth round. Not. Nah. I think it's more. I think it's more likely he goes in the fourth. But he's. I mean, he's got a huge leg. And uh, the other part about it is he's also got some touch. I mean, he's not a guy that just booms it and uh, kicks it through the end zone and brings the ball out to the 20. I mean, he he understands the idea of direction. He has a powerful leg, but he also understands directional kicking. He killed 37 punts inside the 20. So he's kind of uh, he's one of those punters that understands the total game and can be a real weapon. So you don't often see punters. I mean, he'll be the highest punter drafted in quite a while. Uh He's not going to go. He's not going to go Thursday night, and he's not going to go Friday night. But I think he will probably go pretty early on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one more point, real quick on the draft uh, to get a little more serious. Hopefully, you can hear me okay. Um, so I think this is going to be the last year of Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, and Barnett. I think we have to do some backfill on the interior defensive line. I'd love to get one of those big Georgia guys. Yeah, boy, you do listen to the show, <laughs> Jordan Davis. Yeah, you got We're two. In. You got two of them. I mean, Davis is the number one, obviously, and will be the number one. Just a question of how high he goes. Uh, but they've also got Devontae Wyatt, uh, who played next to him, that actually could probably be a swing guy. He could probably play end too. I mean, he could. He, I mean, he can probably. He's probably more of a natural inside player. But if you wanted to move him on the outside, play him on the edge. I mean, he could probably do that too. Um, I'm still going to stick with my prediction that. Seven Georgia players will go in the first two rounds. I think that they, I think seven, and they'll all be from deep, all from the defensive side, but I think seven are going to go in the first two rounds. They're that good. Eagles got to get one of them. Jordan Davis, Works you know, he certainly, uh, he certainly caught my eye in Atlantic City. <laughs> all right, right. Coming up, uh, always Saturday around 1120, we do what we're watching. And, Often you try to recommend a new movie. I try to recommend a new TV show. Actually, tomorrow you're going to review a movie that you just went out and watched. We'll save that one. Okay. Today, kind of a special what we're watching with a guest because uh, the HBO series Winning Time, which is based on the L.A. Lakers Showtime thing, is both a national sensation, extremely popular, and has become extremely controversial. Uh, in terms of its realism, and it has sparked lawsuits. Jack McCallum, who is uh, among the preeminent basketball writers in this country forever, covered all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's going to give us a perspective, what's real, what's not, what's fugazi. So I'm looking forward to a special uh, visit from Jack McCallum. 215-592-9494. With Ray Dinge, I'm Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Well, basketball playoffs are here, and Scheib Vintage Sports is your home for throwback Sixers gear. Locally owned, Scheib carries national brands as well as original designs by the Philadelphia artists. So if you're thinking about The Doctor, you're thinking about Moses Malone, Fofo Four, if you're thinking about just what Glenn and I were talking about, which is Allen Iverson, The Spectrum, and even Prism. Stop by 13th and Walnut Street before you head to your next game or shop online 
at shibesports.com. And remember, you tell them that Ray sent you, and you will get 15% off. All right. What we're watching is sponsored by Got a Door and Window. Buy any window or door. Get the second to 50% off. Plus, interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Call Got a Door and Window today. One eight seven seven go guida or visit go g u i d a dot com. Well, Ray, I have told you that I am addicted to the show Winning Time on HBO, which is a recreation of the Los Angeles Lakers Showtime mm-hmm. from Jerry Buss all the way on down. And while it is getting tremendous ratings and is the buzz of the country, it is also generating a lot of controversy because. You may not know this, Ray. Yeah. It's been said it's less than 100% accurate to the facts. Um, I think I'm on the record as saying that, actually. You left it after two episodes? I, I bailed after two episodes. Yeah, and just... I'm watching it and enjoying it, even while I know I'm watching trash. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. I wanted to bring on somebody who actually could be, and I don't mean to discount you, but was there for the whole thing. Oh, right. And really authoritative. And I don't know who is better than Jack McCallum. Jack McCallum is one of the uh, preeminent basketball writers in this country. Uh, I remember from the days of Sports Illustrated, Mm -hmm. he wrote the authoritative book on the Dream Team called Dream Team, How Michael, Magic, Larry, Charles, and the Greatest Team of All Time Conquered the World and Changed the Game of Basketball Forever. Nice, snappy, short title. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Absolutely. I read it, and he wrote one in recent years called Golden Days, which kind of connects West Coast basketball from the early Lakers all the way up uh, including to and including the recent Golden State Warriors team. Ray, and he wrote a book on Jerry West. Mm-hmm. Ray, I would like to, Your Honor, present Jack McCallum as an expert witness, if I may. Absolutely. Jack, thank you so much for being our guest today. My pleasure. Your right. faithful Hollywood correspondent. There you go. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I, I left this out. You and Ray used to work together way back in the day, is that right, in your youths? I, well, I bullet. only, I passed through the I used to look at Ray in awe from the press box. I was more of a Lehigh Valley guy. Then when I went to the Bulletin for a cup of, almost a literal cup of coffee, uh, Ray was gone, right? Ray, 1980, uh, you were not there? Correct. I had, uh, that, was the su- that was the summer that I left the Bulletin and went to the Daily News, just about the time that you were arriving. All right. Yeah, but Ray, I remember him in the press box one night, and he knows I'm going to say this, but writing the immortal line after a Phillies brawl, Kevin, apocalypse now, so Shay. And that just, <laughs> that, I don't, that put wow. me on the floor. I don't know what it was. There you go. Maybe you had to be there, but it was just such, such the perfect encapsulation of uh, – the, the lefty who was more than willing to to engage, let's say. All right. So, Jack McCallum, uh, by the way, on Twitter, at McCallum12. Um, you know what's going on with this series. Uh, there was a lot of blowback to it recently. Jerry West sent a letter to HBO and producer Adam McKay demanding retraction and apology for the network. Lawsuit. Um, so I just l- let us start there because I think that's the character that's generated the most controversy. You wrote the book on Jerry West. Is he being portrayed unfairly? Yeah, of course. I, th- I think there's so much complication here, but I th- here's the thing with, with West, and that is the things that they are portraying, which is a volcanic temper, a refusal, you know, anxieties. Uh, a kind of darkness of the soul, a lot of things like that. 
those things are accurate. And I've talked to Jeff Perlman, author of the book, about this. But that doesn't mean the way that Jerry manifests, the way that it's being manifested in the show, which are these throwing a trophy through the window, walking off the golf course, treating everyone basically insultingly. That is not how Jerry manifested these things within him that he had to battle. I mean, he has his own book about it, uh, which he was very honest, talking about depression and the way he grew up and his darkness. Jerry internalized things. Jerry's problem was he didn't kind of let them out. And the whole idea of him being this always ready to explode guy is just not uh, accurate. And if people have accurately said the defenders of the show, and I get it, yeah, it's not a documentary, and we can talk about why it isn't, but still it raises the question of are you obligated when you have the title of a book, real people who are still alive, who have their own legacies, are you somewhat compelled to have it closer to the truth? And it's somewhat of an unanswerable question, but that's what's being raised by the series. Yeah, I I agree with you, Jack, and I think that... um what surprised me and frankly kind of disappointed me was I read Jeff Perlman's book and, and I thought the Jeff Perlman book was to my experience. I didn't, I wasn't around that team nearly as much as you or um, have the access that you did, but enough that I felt like I had a sense of who they were. And I thought the Jeff's book captured it pretty well. And I kind of expected that to be reflected in the TV series and it's not at all. I mean, they've, take, they've taken it. They've taken what I thought was a pretty good, pretty factual book and turned it basically into a TV show. Yeah, well, you know, the, what, what happens with the books? You, somebody options a book in Hollywood. That means they, they buy the book from the author. It's, not an, it's a great investment for a movie company or a company making a series or whatever because it gives them a basis of factual material that they can research. And it's not with a, without a huge amount of money for the author. Any author, including me, willingly gives it up because what the hell? It's Hollywood. You know? And it's money we didn't have. Mm-hmm. So that is exactly what you said what happened with Jeff. Hollywood is not compelled to write what is exactly on the page. They could make a, a show about blueberry preserves, you know, magic cooking blueberry preserves, and they wouldn't be breaking any laws. As I said, the question is, when you do that, um, are you, uh, you know, sort of because the people are not fictitious and because they still exist, and as I said, have their own really big legacies, uh, should you pay a little more adherence to what the, uh, to what the book was, to what the facts were? So, because, as you said, Jeff's book was really, Jeff's a great, you know, I worked with him in full disclosure. He's a friend work with him at Sports Illustrated. Jeff will go after the jugular and the sensational, but Jeff is a great reporter and pretty, pretty accurate over the years. So I was talking with somebody I know who's about 30, who's watching this thing, is enthralled by this show. Listen, I got to admit, it's great popcorn TV. I, I'm, I'm watching every episode and enjoying it, even as I know it's how inaccurate it is. But this person who is, you know, younger 30 said, Wow, I never knew it was like that. I never knew this with Dr. Jerry Buss was like this. I never knew that Kareem was that bad of a guy. I never knew. And so, I mean, I guess I'll ask your opinion. Is 
because people who are not our age, who didn't live through it, are going to see this and think, well, that's fact. What damage does it do? You know, guys, this is America. We are free to do this. And uh, I think if you read enough, if those some pe- some pe- same people that are reading, uh, looking at the series and enjoying it, and by the way, this journey through Lakerland with John C. Riley, I get it. It's really interesting. John C. Riley is terrific. This is just he's my great. opinion. He's great. I mean, he, he is. is great. He's great. It's sort of like he's the engineer of this surreal train, and he's taking it through through this journey in his eyes. And he is, but he's always fantastic. I mean, when they got you, it was supposed to be Michael Shannon, by the way, who's a lot oh, darker yeah. of a character. Yeah. Yeah, he turned down the thing because he didn't like the breaking of the third wall when they go through and talk to the audience. And he didn't he didn't like that. He's a little more serious. I could just see John C. Riley going, hell yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> That's not a problem. So uh, Adam McKay's audience is not uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Jack McCallum or Glenn and Ray or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bob Ryan, who has unleashed a furious, uh, you know, Jeremad on the upon the show. That's not his audience. His audience is the guy you're talking to. Yeah, thirty year old guy who wants to be entertained. Yep. And the fact I loves it. Yeah, the fact that he's going to get some wrong impressions. That's just the way it goes. And we hope what he does is he reads some of the attractions. He listens to some of the shows. He reads Kareem's great piece and says, "No, this isn't exactly how it is." But the idea that Adam McKay and the show committed some sort of legal, uh, you know, impropriety is just not going to hold up as much as I feel for Jerry and what he's going through. Because I've talked to Jerry about it, talked to his son, and there is a rel- really, really bad feeling, you know, about what they feel the show has done to their legacy. And I hope people read enough and get enough all-encompassing knowledge to say, I'm entertained by the show, but let's not feel that this is exactly the way it was. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, a, I think that's a fair representation. Did you, um, when you look back on that team, apart from the TV series, but if you look back on the reality of that team, um, there have been a lot of great teams that have come along, and there have been a lot of great, uh, there have been a lot of dynasties in the NBA. Um, but that team had a personality. That team had a history. That team leaves a footprint that I think I really think is unique, Jack. I mean that 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 was that was the true marriage of of sport and entertainment. And uh, the Lakers, and maybe it was partly the L, maybe it was partly L A. Maybe it was partly the the crowd that they got at courtside. Maybe it was you know the cutaways to Jack Nicholson or whatever. But I think that that team, you know, they, they'll be remembered in basketball for reasons other than just basketball. I mean, they were a true they were a true floor show every night. Oh, no question. And that was that was the brainchild of Jerry Buss saw this. I mean, a lot of the stuff in there, we have to remember that a lot of stuff about the show is accurate. And the fact that Buss was taking this great gamble on a sport, you know, the, the era they show, that 79-80, as you guys know, I mean, the NBA could have gone out of business, you know. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Buss created this kind of other thing to the point, to your point of what they did that they are almost, I'm going to use the word almost, they're almost overlooked as a basketball team. They won five series, in the uh, five championships in the decade of the 80s against the Bird Celtics 
the Irving 76ers, the, the uh, Isaiah Thomas Pistons, the Dominique Wilkins Hawks, they were so good. And when I look back on a team that had an amazing, efficient offense, here's a team that was known for fast breaking and, you know, sort of upping the energy of the game. But then they had the best half-court option in the history of the game, which is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They shot near 50%. They were really, really an efficient, great basketball team along with their show. So what they achieved, as you said, was really unlike anything any other team did during that era. And they deserve a lot of credit for, a lot of credit for what the modern NBA came out of those dark days of the 70s. Jack McCallum is our guest. If you haven't read his books, you should read any and all of them. Start with the Dream Team book. Uh, listen, while we have you, and I know you're you're not uh, in this realm right now, but we were very surprised the other night to learn Jay Wright retired, 60 years old, great coach at Villanova, won the two national championships. I'll, uh, you're, a, you're a hoops guy. What's the Jay Wright legacy? Well, I mean, I was I was shocked, too, particularly since my, my closest uh, – friend probably I, I can have friends in the college basketball business that I didn't cover all the time is is Jim Beheim's one of them and Jim is apparently going to be there when he's 107 <laughs> so for, for, Jay, for Jay to exit when he still has really great teams uh, people have said it uh, better than I have Dane O'Neill wrote a great uh, piece about it people that have been close and because there's so many great Philly reporters down there, you know, Hoops and Dick Girardi and Dana and everybody down there. I couldn't say it any better, but uh, what he did was, I think, bring a kind of, uh, what's, what's the word, a, a, a kind of honesty to the game that I think you didn't have to be a corporate basketball power like Duke has become. Hey, and I love Mike Krzyzewski, but you know, you don't have to have that corporate thing attached to it, Kentucky, uh, you know, those kind of teams. That you can do it out there on the main line. You can do it with some sort of uh, naturalness and niceness. And that's always what the Jay – I didn't know Jay very well, but I did know him. And uh, he was just a terrific person, and it's a gigantic – it's a it's, – you know, it's funny. He went out the same year as Mike, as Krzyzewski. But Jay's loss, I mean, maybe it's because I'm near Philly. But, uh, wow, that is really, really a giant loss. I agree. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, Glenn and I were talking about it in the first hour. And, um, you know, we've seen, we've seen these press conferences before. We've seen guys step away, step, step aside, retire players coaches we've seen we've seen this before um but jay's i thought had and i think this is this just kind of reflects his personality jay's just had a an authenticity a, a, a kind of a, a, a genuineness to it that you know sometimes guys have these press conferences and you almost feel like they're reading from a script you almost feel like you know the the, the sports information director or somebody helped them craft it uh and with jay totally consistent with his personality. I mean, he just got up there and just and just spoke from the heart. And it um, and it was really, you know, if whether you were a Villanova fan or not, I mean, you had to admire what this guy accomplished. And the grace 
the grace that, uh, that with which he leaves is really kind of unique in this era of sports, Jack. I just thought that, you know, if you look at the 21 years, the record, the wins, they all speak for themselves. But I think just, just the way he carried himself for those 21 years is that people are going to remember that as much as the two championships. Well, I, yeah, grace was actually the word I was <laughs> searching for. I didn't come up with it. But I, I'll tell you my number one uh, my number one Jay moment, and I always remember this, and that was we were all watching together. My college friends get together to watch the final final game, whether we give a crap about the teams or not. The year they hit the shot to beat uh, to beat North Carolina, and right after the shot went in, Jay, incredible, incredible game. Jay gets up and just breathes. You take a look at it sometimes. Just breathes like the sigh of relief goes. Like he doesn't put his arms up. And I remember one of my friends went, how is he not jumping up and down? I said, I guarantee you what he's thinking of. How uh, painful this is for Carolina. You know, Mm -hmm. that this game came down to this jump shot, which you make, you know, you know, you make it two out of five times in practice. You make it one out of 20 times with the NCAA game on the line. And the, the little margin of uh, victory. And I just thought, really, it would, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I never asked Jay that question. But to me, it was this moment, of course, of relief. But it was sort of empathy, like, you know, we're a little fortunate to have won that game. And I'm not going to explode into this, uh, you know, display that I outcoached, yep. uh, you know, Roy Williams. I got the last shot. My guy made it in 2022. It could be different. Uh, Jack McCallum, it is a pleasure. You can follow Jack on Twitter at uh, McCallum12, if I recall correctly. I don't have it up right now. Um, And he puts up compelling stuff. And as I said, read his books. They're great. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Really appreciate the perspective. And and, uh, maybe we'll have you back again. Always an honor to be with you guys. Thank you so much. Take care, Jack. Great talking to you. By the way, Ray. Yes. Tomorrow, I've kind of booked somebody on the same subject. Oh? Tomorrow, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking to Paul Westhead, who is a major character. Who actually is one of the characters. In that show. He is the co- I don't know how far you've watched. You've only watched two. Yeah. But I'd watch a few tonight. You're not. You're hanging on home tonight. No, I'm not. I'm going to a book signing. Oh, I thought that's in the afternoon. What's the book signing? The book signing is at Town Books. Uh, I will be up there to, for Town Books, which is Where's in that? Collegeville. Collegeville. It's yeah. in Collegeville, right off 422. Yeah. Uh, head up there. Town Books, Collegeville. I will be there at 4 o'clock today signing books, signing them for how, however long they have books. All right. Well, so you'll be out by 530 because people will have bought all your books, and then you'll be home, and Maria will serve dinner, and you'll sit around scratching the dog. And tomorrow we have Paul Westhead on. He becomes the coach of that team. I know you know this story, but not everybody does. <laughs> a, bike, uh, a biking accident correct, knocks out the previous coach. Jack McKinney. Jack McKinney, and at least in the show, is scared of his own shadow mm. and intimidated by the players. Okay. And we're going to find out tomorrow from him what it was really like and what he thinks of the portrayal of the show. Okay. So Paul Westhead tomorrow, mm-hmm. along with Jimmy Lineham tomorrow. Wow. A lot of local basketball. A lot of local basketball. Amy Fadul later today. Yeah, good. Right. Um, Roger and Southfield, do me a favor. Hang. I want to get you in the next segment. 
Uh, we are going right up until 1 o'clock today. As we said, so much going on that we are not going to do a Tell Us Your Story today. We've recorded a few. We're going to hold them until a couple weeks after the NFL draft and play them for you. But we'd love to hear from you. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Ray and Glenn, 94 WIP. This is the time of day when we always, on Saturdays, are joined by a doctor from Cooper Bone and Joint. Dr. Mark Pollard is nice enough to join us today. And, Doc, we have a serious thing coming up here. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need your expertise, sir. Uh, as you have probably heard, Joel Embiid has got a right thumb issue. It is currently listed as a sprain. He is by all means expected to play today, hoping to play through it. But there is some speculation that it might actually be a torn ligament in his right thumb. I don't know which ligament in the thumb. I don't know if that makes a difference. I guess that's why we are coming to you. Clearly, there is uncertainty Let's start with this. If it's a sprain, and I guess a sprain can be many things, should we worry or should we feel confident? Um, It totally depends on the magnitude of the sprain. You know, we've talked before, there's a whole spectrum of how severe it can be from just a minor stretch to, you know, where the integrity of the actual fibers that make up the ligament isn't compromised to, like, severe sprains are actually almost ligament tears. Um, You know, I think it's probably a good sign that he is still indeed actually playing on it, you know, indicating that it might not be that severe. However, you really don't, aren't able to tell definitively how severe it is unless you get an imaging study like an MRI. Would it make a difference if it is the ulnar collateral or if it is the radio collateral? Is one more of a concern? Yeah, the uh, ulnar collateral ligament is the one that's on the, uh, uh, the pinky side of the thumb. Um, that prevents the thumb from kind of falling out. And that's usually considered a little bit more uh, severe and possibly a little bit more symptomatic just because anytime you try to squeeze something between your thumb and forefingers, you know, the, that ligament would have a tough time holding it. Um, whereas the radial collateral is on the uh, kind of outside of the thumb away from the other fingers, and that's not stressed as much. So I guess in answer to your question, yeah, the um, uh, ulnar collateral would probably be a little bit more right. severe. And if it is, let us all hope not, a torn ligament, is he going to be able to play an extended run through the playoffs? Um, well, you know, that's the decision-making process gets a little bit complicated there. Um, I think it was a Chase Utley had an injury like this a few years ago, ended up having surgery, and I think he was able to play relatively quickly, as did Drew Brees. Obviously, they play different sports. Um, and, you know, the three weeks to return is like an eternity in the playoffs. Yeah. But it is something that, you know, can potentially be, you know, wrapped, uh, you know, given a splint or something like that to help support it. However, if that's the shooting hand, obviously that could affect the mechanics of things. Uh, we have one other pretty prominent athlete in this town is dealing with an injury right now, and that's Bryce Harper. Uh, has uh, what's reported as a mild strain in the flexor mass in his arm, which um, limits him from throwing the ball, but doesn't limit him from swinging the bat, as he demonstrated last night. Um, but he hasn't been able to uh, he hasn't been able to play the field for a little while. Uh, you tell us a little bit about what that injury is and how long he's liable to be limited in terms of playing defense. Yeah, the um, the flexor muscles of the uh, forearm, you know, they start at the elbow, usually on the inside part of the elbow towards the body, um, and you know they allow you to f- flex your wrist. You know, they can be involved 
a little bit less in power grip, but in certainly more of the motions of throwing a ball than, than swinging a bat. Um, and, you know, with, with any muscle injury, again, depends how se- severe it is. I think it's a good sign that he's, you know, playing through it, even if he's modifying playing DH, um, that it is probably not that severe and hopefully more of a, you know, a week-to-week thing without too many weeks being involved. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we hope for the best in both. Dr. Mark Pollard, always a pleasure. We always appreciate talking to you to the fine doctors at Cooper Bone & Joint. Have yourself a good weekend. All right. Thanks. You All as well. Right. Thank there you, doctor. There you go. I hope we get more clarity, uh, clarification on the Embiid injury, and I hope it's a minor strain of the, what she said, the radial was better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or nothing. Yeah, you don't he, did, wanna... he looked in pain the other day. You saw when he banged that thing, he looked hurt. Oh, he did, yeah. for sure. Uh, and, you know, they're going to do the imaging when they get back here, and they'll find out what they're really dealing with. But, uh, yeah, I mean, torn ligament of the thumb on his shooting hand is not good. You're Nick Nurse today. Okay. You going after that? Well, yeah. What do you tell your guys? Uh. You know, you got a chance for some. Well, you, you any chance for some contact? You you do it. You know, if you can bang them, bump them, that kind of thing. Yeah, you, you'll do that. Yeah, I think that's you got a sore spot. Hit the hand. Yeah, I mean he's you know he's the key guy. Uh, oh, and yeah. if you can, he's he's obviously going to be somewhat limited. But if you can um, cause more discomfort, right? That's better than make less. Him, make him feel it and hope that you intimidate him from coming in or doing what he wants. I don't think you're going to intimidate Joel Embiid, but that is the goal. Well, yeah. Um, but, you know, the one Make of the things... Make him think twice every time he drives. You know, every time he goes up for a rebound, try to hit that hand. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the stuff that's going to happen in the flow of the game happens so fast that you don't have yeah. time to think about that. But where yeah. you could think about it is on the foul line. You know, when you've got the ball in your hand, you got to shoot a shot. If you've, you have time to think about, oh, my, my thumb hurts. Yeah. And... One of Embiid's many strengths, one of his great strengths, is that for a big man, he's a great foul shooter. Yeah. And he's at the line all night, it seems like. If, he's, if it in any way affects his accuracy from the foul line, making foul shots, that's a significant difference. I've heard somehow it's unfair for him to be getting all those foul shots. Well, this new logic that like, well, yeah, he scores, but they're all foul shots. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those count. Mm-hmm. You fouled them. Yeah. So it's a weird dynamic that, like, if he didn't get all those free throws, he wouldn't be the same player. Well, the well, difference is, duh. well, the difference is, you know, big guys have been going to the foul line for since the days of Will Chamberlain. I mean, because yeah. they're big and they get the ball near the basket, and there's a lot of contact, so they get fouled. The difference with this guy is he makes, makes the foul shots. He's a Chris Dudley. You know, guys like Wilt, guys like Dudley, guys like Shaq. Most of the big yeah. guys go to the line and you know they hit sixty percent. This guy hits eighty-five. Yes, he does. Roger in South Philly. What's on your mind today? Well, Glenn, it's really Georgia, but uh, you and I... I had no, that's very South Philly. You. Yeah. <laughs> I had the pleasure of meeting you a couple times at Tron Saletti. Oh, and, nice. Uh, it's a great place. And, and Ray, no, number one, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly about Jay Wright. I mean, he, he even though I went to Temple, I'm going to tell you, he made me a Villanova fan. Yep. And you fellows were talking about, um, you know, uh, UCLA. And uh, I, I happened to be there one night. I was fortunate. I was out for a company uh, meeting and got to go to a game. And you're exactly right. The coach sat behind the bench. And I did get to interview him. And I asked him what was his uh, favorite team. He refused to do it. But what was also interesting, I think the uh, coach after him was Gene Bartow. 
And, it was, and it was think, Gene Bartow. That is correct. Yeah, and then didn't he go to um, Alabama, Birmingham, I think? Yes. Uh, and that started the program there. On the Eagles, I really would love to see Jordan Davis from Georgia. There pick. you go. It's unanimous, Ray. Yeah, because I really think, uh, guys, he can give that defensive line a foundation for the future. And uh, one of the funniest things with Buddy was his last show after he got fired. Uh, Don Henderson was hosting it at the Rivet, and a guy calls in and said that uh, Randall can't get in his house. And Buddy said, what do you mean he can't get in his house? He said his front yard's an end zone. And that's a line. <laughs> That I'll never forget. <laughs> it was just so funny, Good stuff. in my opinion. Hey, thanks for checking in, Roger. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Appreciate Roger. it. Let me get one more call here before we hit a break. His mouse is being bulky, Ray. Hold on. There we go. Darren and Aston, you're on with uh, Ray and Glenn. Hey, Darren. Hey, Glenn and Ray. How you guys doing today? We're good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I can't wait for the draft. I've been looking forward to it ever since we got these three picks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, my main question for you is, I mean, I'm, I would love to see them get two defensive players that can make a difference, um, but I feel like we're right on that borderline of, like, are all good, like the best one's going to be gone, and I don't want to settle for somebody. So two defensive ends, Ray, I wanted to get your take on is, the, like, if we traded down with maybe one of the picks, is uh, the guy Ojabo on Michigan who's hurt. Yeah, he's got, and, he's got a, a torn Achilles. And then, and then uh, Ebikite from Penn State, who uh, I wanted to see, like, what was your take on them? Like, if we traded down and acquired something for 23 draft, like, what's your take on those guys as, uh, you know, their future? I, um, I, just, I, just, I just don't like drafting injured players, you know? Right. I mean, because there are a lot of people that are talking about that are in their mock drafts or projecting that the Eagles are going to draft Jamison Williams, the receiver from Alabama that's got the torn ACL. Um and and Ajabo, who probably would have been a top fifteen pick, uh, is going to go somewhere in the first round. Some people have the Eagles taking him because the I guess they're thinking about the Sidney Jones thing that uh, the Eagles drafted him. Well, that didn't work out very well. Um, I I just don't. To me, it just it just seems like bad business. Why would you draft an injured player? But if you get value on it, Landon Dickerson. They drafted, uh, and they got him where they got him because he was injured, and he looks like a terrific pick. To me, if you if you get value on it, it's worth doing. Sidney Jones, too high. Landon Dickerson, worked out. Well, it worked out, but there's but there's you know, there's the other guys that don't. I, I just I'm just I'm just leery of drafting defensive I'm I'm leery of drafting players that are injured. Uh the Penn State the Penn State kid I think has um I like him. I, I think what, what you what he is now at least to me, represents he's a guy who hasn't played a whole ton of football, so he needs a little bit of coaching. He's got a lot of natural ability. He's certainly got he's certainly got quickness and an ability to get to the quarterback. I think he's a guy that, to me, at least initially, projects as a pass rush specialist. You know, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be a starter right away, but I think he's a guy that, in your nickel, your dime, you're looking for a guy that's just going to come on the field and rush the quarterback. I think that's what he is initially, and you hope you can develop him into a more well-rounded, three-down kind of player. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Coming up, we're going to talk some sixes with Amy Fadul, your teammate uh, there over at Comcast Sport or NBC Sport. What do they call it these days? Uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia. There you have it. Right. Yeah, she's done a really good job. I mean, pros, she's pro. She's been uh, she's been on that Sixers pre and post right from the beginning. And we'll find out what she thinks about uh, today's game. Ray and Glenn on ninety four WIP. 
Nick Nurse is telling Van Vliet to get back into the lane, play defense there, because again, just point nine on the shots. Embiid turns, fires for the win, Joel Embiid! And the Sixers take game three here in Toronto! And the crowd is silent! <laughs> That's Kate Scott, a la Abdel Nabi the other night as uh, Embiid hits that last-second shot in overtime to win the game. And, Ray, I don't know about if you got to see this, because I, on social media, looked, and the uh, crew over at NBC Sports Philadelphia, uh-huh. Jim Lynham, Mark Jackson, Amy Fadula, they had the inside camera. Okay, those are always fun. A little celebration there, Amy. <laughs> and I'm thinking it's mostly you guys thought, like, oh, good, we, there's not going to be a double overtime and come right on the air. Exactly, exactly. Jim had called uh, overtime early on, and I was like, don't say that, Jim. It's not actually free basketball. It costs us a lot. Come on, it costs us our time. But he was such a cool customer during that. That is a, the video, if you've seen it, is Jimmy is everybody that's seen it and done it before, and Mark Jackson is every other person across the Delaware Valley, I think, that just lost their minds. Mm-hmm. Mark couldn't continue. He literally is running around the studio. Luckily, um, <laughs> I could actually air that video because sometimes the videos I take at the end are not airable. They're not so safe for work, but they were they were all good on that one. But Please. Jim was a, he was cool as a cucumber right there. Just said incredible. I've seen the ones with Ray Didinger dropping all kinds of not suitable for work <laughs> words. We all know we know those, don't we? Well, I oh, I, I, I remember the, I remember the day of double doink. Mm-hmm. Uh, of mm-hmm. Barrett Brooks actually jumping out of his seat and running around the set when that actually <laughs> happened. So we've we've all been there for those moments. But, Amy, um, going into the series, I mean, there was a lot of talk about how the Sixers had played down the stretch, the problems <laughs> they were having, how they weren't exactly peaking for the postseason. And there was a lot of concern about the about the Raptors because they're, they're a good team and the Sixers didn't match up with them particularly well. Um, how did you – you know, looking down, looking down the barrel of it before it began – how tough a series did you think this was going to be for the Sixers? You probably didn't expect them to be sitting here 3-0 right now. No, I predicted Sixers in either six, and actually I kind of thought maybe seven. I thought the Sixers would pull it out just because at the end of the day, you know, Embiid being who he is is going to be your deciding factor because I thought they matched up a little too well. Um, the way that, that Toronto plays, the physicality that they have and the size, you know, they're just able to throw a lot of different things. And when you go small ball, sometimes that hurts Joel Embiid because they might call a lot of the fouls on him and you don't want him to get into foul trouble. So it was it was concerning. Obviously, Nick Nurse, they, they're a very good defensive team, so you didn't think the Sixers were going to be able to put up all these points like they had been doing in the early days of the James Harden trade. It was You thought it was going to be a little bit more like what you saw towards the end of the, of the season, which wasn't, as you mentioned, Ray, wasn't necessarily good. They would build these leads and then they would give them right back and either have to squeak out a win over the Pacers or the Pistons, or they would lose those games. And you're thinking, wow, against a better coached, more talented Raptors team, that would turn into a loss going away. So there was definitely some concern. I thought the Sixers, I thought it would go the distance. I thought it would go close to the distance. I did not think that they would solve the Raptors so quickly. But that first game, the Raptors clearly had no answer for Tyrese Maxey, and he was able to do whatever he wanted. He went inside, outside, and then the second game, you know, saw Joel Embiid obviously assert himself, Maxie still, and Tobias Harris, two very solid games out of the gate. So I think that just that three-headed monster, whomever it is, being the third guy to step up, has been so huge for them. And been a surprise because the Raptors, they do a lot of junk defenses. I mean, listen, they, they run zone. They, they run a lot of different things. I mean, Jim will talk about how they will run triangle and some box and one and, and things like that. And you're thinking, wow, yeah, that usually stymies the Sixers, and it hasn't. Maybe that week of 
almost like a mini training camp when the the play-in games were going on helped the Sixers get a little bit of cohesiveness when it comes to different defenses that are going to be thrown at them because I thought that they answered everything the Raptors had out of the gate. Even when the Raptors kind of came out strong in game two and game three, you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, Sixers answered, and then they put them away. Um, Obviously, it was a little bit of a trouble spot in Toronto. You knew it was going to be, but 24 turnovers, I don't expect them to have that kind of number again. Yeah, no. You mentioned Tobias Harris, uh, who has had a very good series, and Mm -hmm. he's a guy who certainly gets a lot of flack in this town. I think uh, much of it is related to his contract, right? Mm -hmm. He's it's generally agreed he's not worth the contract he gets, but he's had a very good series, and I thought really picked up his play when James Harden came in, mm-hmm. and maybe it's as simple as having a real point guard. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. He's he's had to change his role wholeheartedly. I mean, he's a catch-and-shoot guy almost now, and, and I don't know that that was always him. I think, you know, he defensively in this series has probably been what I've come away with. He has been tasked with guarding Pascal Siakam a lot of times, which is not an easy task. He is a guy that's really physical and can move for his size. We all know that. He's a, he's a very adept, skilled, and scorer. So for Tobias Harris to be on him, I think it's pretty good. And so you see what he's been able to do on some of the guys. He's been on Fred Van Fleet at different times, but most of the time he's been on Siakam um, and a little bit on um, Gary Trent Jr. But it's it's interesting because you're right, Glenn. I mean, obviously, when you give a guy the max contract, you're expecting him to be consistently good, reliable all the time, maybe a dip here and there, but it's almost been the opposite. Now, last year, obviously, was a really good year for Tobias, and this year he struggled. He struggled out of the gates before Harden got here, and then he struggled when Harden got here. And so I think it's been a learning curve for him, and this whole new role that he's been kind of set up with, I think that he's finally comfortable with it. But it's such a different role for him to be able – to run the court and then find a spot and then look for the ball to be passed to him. And you mentioned having a true point guard, obviously, you know, with, when Ben Simmons was not here, they didn't have that. Tyrus Maxey was the point guard, and he's a fine point guard. There's nothing wrong with him. But let's face it, he is a better off-ball player. Mm-hmm. No he doubt. does very well with that. So it was different for Tobias Harris all of a sudden midstream. I mean, it wasn't even midstream. And let's face it, it was like almost three-quarters of the way through the season. It was like different. You know, you need to run the floor. You need to find your spot, and James Harden will find you. So I think he's actually like coming to his own a little bit, and he's being a little bit more aggressive. I think that's what we've seen from the Sixers as a whole. Joel Embiid is always aggressive. James Harden is always looking for his shot. But Maxi, we saw sometimes, you know, maybe it took a step back, and now he's saying he's going to be super aggressive. And I think Tobias Harris is saying that too. That's not in his nature. He's not that guy. But I think he's realizing that he has to be that guy because you don't know when you're going to get the ball, and he's going to have to go ahead and make something happen because of it. He can't just wait for the opportunity. Yeah, I know that um, down at uh, NBC, there people tease you a lot about uh, about the Kentucky connection. <laughs> Everybody knows that you're a you're a UK you're a UK grad, and you're loyal. You're still loyal to your Wildcats. So there was always a certain um, you. Know, I mean, you always were very fond of Maxi from the time he mm-hmm. arrived, but this year. I mean, my goodness. I mean, I, um, I mean, what you've seen him in, in terms of his development. I mean, the kid is a star. I mean, and you can and you can just see he's just starting out. Um, what fun he is to watch! And I, you know, I always kind of think the measure of an athlete in this town is when you see people walking around and they're wearing his jersey. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the last in the last few weeks, I've actually begun to see some maxi shirts happening around me. And to me, that's a sign that I think that uh, that he's really on his way to becoming a big time player. Yeah, we talk about that. You know, Jim Lynham said it, I think, at the beginning of this year when we saw Maxi kind of take that first step 
um, his trajectory, and I said it, his trajectory is, is no longer like up a hill. It's almost a straight line straight up because he has shown with the opportunity that he can be a star. He can, he is a star. This guy's going to be an all-star if it's not next year, the year after. Um, but he's just, that's one of the really nice silver linings of the whole Ben Simmons saga. We would not have seen this from Tyrese Maxey because we would have had a starting, starting point guard in the Sixers lineup and you would have not been able to see what Tyrese Maxey could do. I think that his development, he took what his coach said last year, Doc Rivers, listen, if you remember, he didn't play much in the playoffs and towards the end of the season. He said, listen, I, I, I can't rely on you as a shooter. I need you to improve your shot. You're not a good, you know, you're, you're not taking high volume threes. You're not taking good threes. He was a 30% three-point shooter, which was the knock on him in college, in his short year of college. So he did. He raised, I've never seen anybody raise their three-point percentage by over 13 points. He was an over 40, at this point, he's like almost a 45% three-point shooter. But his trajectory now is is perennial all-star, I think. And, and I don't say, I do say that as a homer because I am, I, I did pick him for the Sixers <laughs> draft of 21, and I am completely biased when it comes to this kid. But he is so much fun to watch, and he has the best time. I mean, he's so likable. To your point, Ray, people, I think, gravitate towards him because they like the way he plays on the court. That, that's obvious. But then you see the way that he is having fun and he always has a smile on his face and he's just so interested in getting better and learning and being the best he can be for his team. I just think that that really resonates with a lot of people and they just look at him and think, wow, this kid's going places. And you know, the Sixers, they can sign him to an extension, I think, next year that would tack on. Obviously, it's one more year of his rookie deal. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, they try to max that kid out because yeah. he's just he plays so well on this team and with these guys. I, I would be I would be really disappointed if he wasn't here for, oh, for a long time. I, I think he has the opportunity to become a long-time mm-hmm. uh, star and legend in this town. We have uh, just two more quick questions, a couple more quick questions we want to ask you. I want to know any inclination on, uh, on Embiid's thumb and mm-hmm. what it may, how it may impact today's game. Yeah, I mean, that was obviously we, – we noticed when he, he – he had that dunk, and then he also had a shot before that that I see, or a defensive uh, block before that. And you're thinking, uh oh. And he started grabbing it. We all saw him obviously grab it, and he started like shaking it. You know, the reports are that it could be uh, some ligament damage. Obviously, we haven't heard or hear from Doc today. I think he's speaking in about ten minutes um, on it. We saw him come wrapped up. His, his thumb come wrapped up. Obviously, it didn't affect his shot at the very end of the game. He's been able to play through a lot. I mean, I think for him. It's, it's about getting across the finish line, and that means past the second round. I mean, he's been very, very open about what he wants to do this season, and it's no, nothing to do with you know MVP. But I think he'll go. I think he'll go until he can't physically go. And, and that's a little bit, obviously, of a concern because they are going to get past the Raptors, whether it's today or Monday. That's happening. You don't want to set him up for failure in the next round where you're going to be without you know the MVP. Um, in a lot of people's minds. So my my inclination is that he plays. If they can give him any kind of you know break, um, and they don't have to play him the entire game. I mean, he played 45 minutes the last game. Plus, almost all the starters played 45 minutes in the last game. Obviously, with the overtime, it would be really nice to give him a little rest. He can get maybe some treatment. But it seems like, and, and we'll have a little bit more clarity. It seems like it's an injury that's going to linger, and he's just going to have to you know, see how he can play through it. Whether it's bandaging it up, whether it's you know, getting some treatment on it every game, maybe at halftime as well. But, you know, everybody's banged up right now, and you're seeing some of the superstars across the league getting banged up. And it's disappointing because you want everything to be, you know, everybody to be healthy and it be all fair and square. But I think for him, he's going to go until he physically can't move that hand, honestly. Yeah. 
Well, it's going to be fun. I, I, I kind of agree with you. If it doesn't end today, I think it will certainly end yeah. the, next, the next game when they come back to Philadelphia. And then on they go. I mean, uh-huh. of, the t- of the teams that are out there, is there one team that you look at and say, yeah, I don't want to take those guys on? Or do you think the way they're playing right now, you're, you're willing to take on anybody in the East? Yeah. You know what? I don't know that I would have said that before the playoffs started, Ray. I think I would have been like, well, I don't know. Like, that Bucks team concerns me. But you're seeing, when you, when you watch the other series, you're seeing cracks in the armor. Um, the Celtics obviously are very, very skilled, and they've been there before, and we know that they're well-coached, and we know all that. But I, that's probably the only team that I would be like, oh, that, that one would be a series. That would be really pretty strong. And, but that's already that's if the Celtics get there. I mean, obviously, they're up 2-0. Two, two, oh, it ain't going to be the Nets, Amy. Yeah, Let's, come on now. It's not going to be the Nets. Sidebar, I love that they're thinking about dropping Ben Simmons in a series if they're down three. Like, that's I know. insane. Oh, it's going to be He's played great. basketball since June. Uh, but come whatever. on. It's going to be enjoyable for yeah. us. Yeah, I, yeah. Let, let's, be, let's be honest. You're yeah. right. But, no, Crash I think the Celtics are the only team that I would look at and be like, wow, because I think they can match up well with the Bucks. Obviously, there's some injuries with there with Chris Middleton. And then the Heat, you know, you, you never really know. They run that zone as well. But the Sixers proved that they can get around it. And the way they're shooting the three right now, if they hit some of those, the zone really kind of becomes null and void. So I would hope that um, they could get – I mean, it's been over 20 years since they've gotten past the second round. That's really – that's that's the goalpost for me. Like, at minimum, Eastern Conference Finals is just – I just don't see how they can. They're playing Got so me. well. I don't want it to be derailed. All these years have built up to them Can you believe it? Yes, over 20 years. I know, and, and it can't – it can't be stalled because of an beat injury. That would exactly. be that would be the terrible ending to it. Amy Fadul Kane, always a pleasure. You can follow her on Twitter at Amy Fadul NBCS. Uh, you're on today before and after. That's right. One thirty. We have our pregame, and then right after, we'll uh, bring you all the the postgame highlights. Maybe a little video from Jimmy and Mark. We'll have to see if the, how this one goes. But yes, of course, we'll, we'll be on right after the game and right before one thirty. All right. Remind Jimmy that he's coming on with us tomorrow at eleven. I sure will. Okay. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Thanks for time. All right, we'll talk to you then. There you go. Good stuff. Uh, she's great. She's, yeah, she's. I've. I've really. I've so enjoyed working with her. She's really terrific. Pro. She really is. Yeah. All right. Good. Uh appreciate that. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. All right. Coming up in the next one, we'd like to get some calls in. Uh, this is a good time to do it. Coming up in the next segment, I want to talk to you about the latest guy presumably on the trade market, that every Eagles fan needs the team to get. Mm -hmm. And actually a very serious story that has come out of Flyers world this week. More, another bad look for that franchise. Okay. Uh, And whatever else you want to kick in there. Okay. Oh, I got a Ben Simmons thing, speaking of which. Yes. Let's try to get all of Of course. Yes, but we'll uh, also talk to the people. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, 94WI. Pressure coming. Garoppolo hit as he throws. A wobbler down the sideline, and it's caught. Debo Samuel with the catch and trying to turn on the Jets. He'll take it all the way for the touchdown. Ray, that is one of the most exciting young players in the league, and I am not referring to Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. Debo Samuel. Yep. No argument here. Almost took him to the Super Bowl. Almost took him to win in the Super Bowl. Yep. Uh, however, he's unhappy. He wants to be traded. This mm-hmm. became public knowledge this week. He is a unique player, Ray, because he's a wide receiver and running back. Scored 14 touchdowns last year, eight of them rushing. Carried the ball 78 times, 
averaged 18 yards per catch. It's good inside. He's a yak man, Ray. Yes, he is. Always looking for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it, uh, of course, whenever anybody, anybody in the league wants to be traded, there are many people in this town who feel the immediate need to get him. Mm-hmm. The day before, the day, the, literally the day before him, story was out that Kyler Murray wanted to be traded, and so everybody wanted Kyler Murray here. Right. And by the way, Debo Sam is a great player. I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell you why I don't think the Eagles should trade for him. Okay. But he's a great player. But here's, there's a couple of problems. One is the report out of San Francisco, and I don't cover the team, so I can't confirm it, but this is the report, is one of the reasons he wants out is he doesn't like the offense and he no longer wants to be used as a running back. He just wants to be a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Part of what makes him a great player in my mind is Nobody else does what he does. No, exactly. He's unique. If you take that away, doesn't he lose value? Yes. Okay. It doesn't make him, it, you know, it doesn't make him a less than great player, but it makes him less useful in your offense because it limits what he can do. Right. What What makes him one of a kind in today's NFL is that he can be both of those things. I mean, he's the one that he's the one that invented the name for himself. Why? Wide back. back. Yeah, I mean, he and took pride in the fact that he could be both and was both. I mean, you're talking about a guy who last year, think about these numbers. He averaged 18 yards per reception Mm -hmm. and six and a half yards per rushing attempt. Amazing. I mean, every time, basically every time he touched the ball, he was getting you a first down. Yep. So, and the ability that he's, he's both talented enough and smart enough, this is the other part of it, and smart enough to learn two positions and play that well is what makes is what establishes his value. Right. And if he doesn't want to do it, the, again, the report is he doesn't want to do it because running backs have shorter shelf lives and he feels he's going to limit his career over the years. And that may be correct. I, you know, I can't argue with it. But mm-hmm. So if he is traded and is just traded as a wide receiver, would I love to see him on the Eagles? Of course I would. Of course I would. Sure. Here's my problem with it. Um, one – Going to cost you two first rounders. Um, yeah, I yes, I do. I right? think I that. mean that market's kind of been established, right? Tyreek Hill and all that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Two, wide receivers have become the hot ticket and are now getting quarterback money. Right. This is a new thing. I mean, the old argument was always like, ah, oh, you can win with any wide receivers. You got to right. build your lines. You got to get your quarterback. Get your pass rush. Grab a couple wide receivers. Don't spend a lot of money on wide receivers. That's out the door. Yeah, I never really believed that anyway. But that was no, the, I didn't that, that was that was that was the thinking a while ago. But it's gone completely to the opposite, where wide receivers are becoming the highest paid players in the league. Well, yeah, and um, you know, if you're going to pay that kind of money to Devontae Adams, okay, I get it because he's that good. But what really blew the top off the whole thing was Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk. Three, three, good, three at 75? Good player, but, I yeah. mean, paying him like a superstar. Yeah. Right. If Christian Kirk is going to get $25 million a year, Debo Sam is going to get more than that. And if I am the Eagles and I am apportioning my money, I can't do it. I mean, I love the shiny toy. I love the beautiful thing in the window, but it doesn't mean it's the smart thing to get. Right. I don't know if you, you know, I mean, that's my position. I don't know if it's your, if you agree or do. Oh, there, look, Matt Wright is punting on TV. Sorry, I'm watching my favorite punter. Oh, yeah, they're doing a whole piece about <laughs> wow. him. Wow, okay, right there you now. go. Eagles next punter. He's impressive. Oh, 
I just got uh, distracted by the other shiny toy. Yes. Okay. Debo Samuel, Ray, those are my arguments. Do you want to tell me they're brilliant or not? Uh, I would be more... Um, I would be more open to it than you are. I, I I share your concerns, but I recognize what a special player he is. Now, I, I wasn't aware until you just were telling me the other day about his expressed desire now. Look, I don't want to be doing that stuff anymore. Again, right? not reports he has confirmed, but reports by guys who cover the team out west. Yeah, but if he doesn't want to do the running back thing anymore, yeah, that changes his impact. Um, but... Let me offer you this. I, I agree with you uh, that two first-round picks are definitely part of any package you would have to put on the table. They, they wouldn't even entertain th thinking about it if you didn't. If I were to say, okay, here's what you could do, and the Eagles are in position to do this. One of your two first-rounders this year, mm -hmm. okay, one of your two first-rounders next year, which you have, and one of your third-round picks this year, of which you have two. Mm -hmm. So give them one of your number ones this year, one of your number threes this year, and one of your number ones next year, mm -hmm. where it wouldn't leave you naked in any of those rounds. You'd still have two first-round picks, one this year, one next year, and you would still have a pick in the third round this year. So, okay. you, so you'd be giving up multiples in each of those categories, and that might be enough to get it done right. if indeed the 49ers are willing to part with the guy. The 49ers haven't said that they're willing to no, do that. No, if I'm them, I just kind of wait and hope that it blows over. But So here's the other part. So let's say, okay, you're ready to make that deal. Mm -hmm. Let's get on the line with Debo Samuel's agent. Hi, Mr. Roseman. How are you? Yeah, listen, here's our offer. Four years, $140 million. Will you take it or leave it? Mm -hmm. I don't know what they'd be asking for. They'd be asking well, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. That's probably a little high. I mean, what did Tyreek Hill get? Do you know? Uh, something pretty close to that. Yeah. And but Tyreek Hill um, is a little bit like is a little bit like Samuel in that he plays multiple positions. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, but if you have, if you if you ask a guy to do too much, and I think Samuel's probably looking around at, you know, Carolina decided that's what they were going to do with Christian McCaffrey. And now look at Christian McCaffrey. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's hurt all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think Samuel's looking at that and saying, you know, if I if I try if I try to do that, I'm going to have a really short career. So we'll get him a little cheaper. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's I think everything's negotiable. But I understand people's fascination with him. Yeah. Because I mean, anybody that saw the 49ers last year knew what a weapon this guy was. He's a really good receiver. He gets open when he catches the ball in the open field. He becomes a running back in a way that other receivers aren't. He knows how to run. He knows how to break tackles. He's strong enough to break tackles, but he can also run with, with vision and strength inside. There's, there's really nobody else in the league quite like him. I mean, he really is. And in the hands of a creative coach, which I kind of think Nick Sirianni has shown a little bit of that, I mean, he could be a major weapon. You're talking about ways you could try to improve Jalen Hurts. You get him a player like Debo Samuel, your quarterback is going to instantly become better. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of those are reasons to have the conversation. But I think when it comes down to the money and what they're looking for, I just don't think it's going to be a fit, Glenn. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Again, we'd all like it, but I, I, I agree. I mean, you would, uh, I, would, I would explore it if I were them. If, sure. if it really I'm came— I'm making the phone call, sure. Yeah, I would certainly explore it, but I kind of have a feeling 
I honestly kind of have a feeling that it's going to be one of these things that's going to be talked about, and it ain't. It just ain't going to happen. He's going, he's going to end up. He's going there. to be with the 49ers this year. I guess, although it's amazing the guys that are getting traded these days. Yeah, I know. NFL was always a league where trades were few and impact trades, particularly few and far between. And a whole lot more now than you used to see. Well, it's becoming more like the NBA. The players can force the issue. Yes. It used to be in the NFL, you, you could complain and stamp your feet, and the team would just say, so what? You're, mm-hmm. you're under contract. Go play. Um, in the NBA, players have been making their own deals for a while now, and the NFL is becoming more like that. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about is completely unrelated, and it's a rough story that our, our friend Anthony Sanfilippo broke. Really good reporting here. Uh, nice that there's one hockey reporter in town that actually covers the team critically and breaks stories. And the story is there's a lawsuit against the Flyers by two of the longtime trainers, Jim McCrossin, who's been there forever. Very long time. Right, who we all know, and Sal Raffa, who I don't particularly know. But they are alleging in a lawsuit uh, that suing team ownership, I'm going to read Anthony's story here, uh, after receiving similar medical diagnoses that alleged, they allege came from a work environment in which they were unknowingly exposed to cancer-causing carcinogens, basically saying that at the team's practice facility, where the team uh, dumped the junk coming off of the Zamboni, for years, for 18 years, exposed them to carcinogens, and they now both have a rare form of cancer. Of course, a lawsuit is a lawsuit and has to be proven. Um, Flyers basically said, we don't think this has merit and aren't going to expound on it because that's just, you know, you don't, you don't, when you're the, when you're the side getting sued, you, you don't say a lot. Right. You just say not true. Uh, so we'll see where the lawsuit goes. Again, very good reporting by Anthony. And regardless, just like another black eye for a franchise that has just got more black eyes than they have eyes. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they, they just can't do anything right on the ice, off the right, off the ice, in marketing, in business. It's, it is the most, the lowest I have seen any franchise during my 30 plus years here in Philadelphia. There are teams that are worse in the standing. I mean, the Sixers went through that whole process. But that was their plan. Right. Right? They knew they, they had a sense of what they were doing. Right. Um, the Phillies had some really bad years. I'm not talking recently. If you go back to the, the, the late 90s, the Phillies were dreadful. And the organization wasn't that well run. But this, this Flyers thing, mm-hmm. it's like the, the franchise just has managed to make itself irrelevant, uh, unpopular, and incompetent. Mm-hmm. All of those things. Yeah. All of those and things. And this, this story, you know, just kind of points more to problems that they have over there. Yeah. I just thought um, the other night, and it comes on a night when they won. <laughs> um, I mean, I sort of looked in on Flyers Canadians, and I looked at those two teams. Oh, jeez. Hey, they, they won. Actually, they won when they should stop winning because they want them to be, get a better lottery. Right. But, I mean, I'm looking at – Guys out there in Flyers uniforms and guys out there in Montreal uniforms who who just who just flat out can't play, and that's what these two franchises, two of the, you know, two of the real landmark franchises in that sport. That's what they've been. That's what they've become. I mean, that's what they have become. And I remember, yeah, you know, that's what the Flyers are now. I mean, I, I read um, the story. The Flyers played. 
the Rangers a couple weeks ago and won the game. Uh, and I picked up the New York papers the next day. And all the New York papers wrote about was how embarrassing it was that the Rangers had lost to the Flyers. Mm-hmm. Like they referred to, you know, Rangers lose to flightless Flyers. And, mm-hmm. and then the story said, you know, the Rangers, you know, went through the motions and lost to an embarrassingly bad. I mean, that's what the Flyers have become now. I mean, they've become a team that other teams just don't even take seriously. And if they happen to win a game, the other team's r- reporters, it's all about how could you lose yeah, you're to how could you lose to yeah. this team? Yep. That's what the Flyers are now. Mm-hmm. That's what they have become. And you know, as somebody who's been following this team literally from day one, literally from day one, um, I hate to see where they are right now. I but I, I and I hate to sound fatalistic, but Glenn, they're in a hole. I don't know how they're going to dig themselves out of it. Well, I know you were upset uh, that you somehow missed the news that uh, when Dave Scott spoke, uh, whatever it was, a month or so ago, he said, like, yeah, Chuck Fletcher's our GM next year. Yeah, I, I, I missed that. I didn't know that. Because I saw a story that was written by Wayne Fish uh, in the Bucks County Courier Times, who's been covering the team since I was covering the team. Um, and he wrote this story about, okay, what are the Flyers going to do moving forward? And it's just, I mean, it's everybody's common. It's assumed that the coach is going to go. But there were all these references to, okay, what's Chuck Fletcher going to do to begin to rebuild? What's Chuck Fletcher looking for in his new coach? What's Chuck Fletcher looking for? And I'm asking myself, well, who says that Chuck Fletcher's going to be making these decisions? They aren't really going to bring him back, are they? And I mentioned it to you, and you said, oh, no, that that was part of Dave Scott's press conference. How can you possibly even think about retaining this guy when he's built? This mess that you have on the ice every night. Look, clearly the coach has to go, and there's no question the coach is going to have to go. But how in the world can you keep Chuck Fletcher on to make the decision of who the next coach is going to be? How do you have any confidence in that? I'll, I'll go higher. How do you keep Dave Scott on? Yeah, I mean, to me, where this team now, is— How do you want to go? To me, that this team, where they are right now, and as, as backwards and inept as they are in every conceivable area— there's only one thing that you can even think about doing, which is you just got to clean house. I mean, everybody's got to go. By the way, that season's not over yet. Yeah, I know. Just keep going and going and going. And, right. one, and one final hockey note. Have you seen what Florida's done since they got Giroux? Yeah. Their record? Yeah. I mean, at one point they were like 12-1-1. One and one, and I don't, I and I, I mean, yeah, good might, for him. I mean, they might be, they might be the Stanley Cup favorite yeah. right now. No, good for him. Good for him this is right. This is a Bork moment. 215-592-9494. Ray did your Glenn Macknow. One more segment, and we wrap it up. We hand over the Go Birds guys today. I didn't look at the schedule. Yes, sir. They will be on after us. Rain Glenn on 94 WIP. All right, last segment today, and uh, before we go to our producer, Kyle Quinn, find out what we forgot to talk about today. I do – I want to rip ESPN, and Ray, not the first time. Uh, no, wouldn't as be the first you know, one. I believe ESPN is the big evil in sports that is responsible for many of the aspects of the businesses we cover that are deficient these days. Mm-hmm. Including, by the way, they did a thing with Tom Brady recently. Yeah. This this isn't my rant. This is the warm up to my rant. <laughs> this is the mini rant. They did a thing with Tom Brady recently, um, and they never asked him about. What was with the retirement and the unretirement? And, like, what about the stories that you were trying to go to Miami and maybe take part of the ownership of the team and play there? And what was the thing about Sean Payne? They never asked him any of that. None of it. None, none, none. You know why? Oh, uh, why? Because they got some business deal with him. You know, he does the man in the arena thing with him, them. Right. And he's got some other show that they're going to do, as does Gronkowski. So they can't ask him anything of substance. 
They have to softball it. Ray, it's evil. But here's the bigger evil of ESPN. Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow you and I are until 1, which is great. I love the extra hour. I'd, I'd rather be doing that than whatever else I'm going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Normally, Sundays, we're doing the pregame for the Phillies at 12 o'clock. Right. Not, no. No. Tomorrow happens to be the Fanatics' birthday, Ray. Oh, huge event! Wait, why did you say that like that? Well, no, I mean that—that that to me is a—that's incongruous. I mean, the, the Fanatics' birthday should be a day game Ex- so the kids can come. Exactly. Tomorrow is the Fanatics' birthday. I have taken my kids when they were young to the Fanatics' birthday. It's a big event. He either comes down on a parachute or they got the Fanatics' mom. They they ham it up, and it's a great event, and it's it's a great thing for the kids. Mm-hmm. The Fanatics' birthday is a night game tomorrow because ESPN said, no, we want the game at night. Move it. Unfortunately, you're not watching my finger with the dirty, hairy ESPN finger pushing the buttons. Mm-hmm. And that's just wrong. You don't make the, the Fanatics' the game at night, the Fanatics' birthday game at night. No, you should. It's unfair to the kids. Not that ESPN cares about the kids. Not that Major League Baseball cares about the kids. It's wrong. I agree. All right. It's an outrage. It is. It's a shame of a fraud of a mouth. Three exactly of two shams of There you go. I, I kind of wanted to pre-cue you on that. Thank you. You set me up nicely. <laughs> All right. Uh, let us go to our producer, Kyle Quinn, and find out what we forgot to talk about. And the, the first one, Ray, is golden. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, so I, we'll start with that one there. I don't know if uh, you, Ray, heard this uh, quote from Ben Simmons yesterday. Ben Simmons finally did speak to the uh, the Brooklyn media, mm-hmm. and the question was more or less, you know, how do you think the fit is going to look like? Uh, just kind of throwing you in there in the middle of a series, you know, with uh, with uh, Kyrie and KD, and uh, Ray. Here's his response. We'll find out. Um, it's a good challenge, but you know, I'm looking forward to it, especially playing with these guys. Um, I think for me, my IQ is so high to you know play with guys like Kai and and Seth and Kev. Um, just watch them. I know how they play. I know how they want to play. Um, and for me to just, you know, get them in their spots and, and be a floor general, um, you know, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Marvel at the IQ, Ray. I Marvel. High <laughs> IQ, Ray. <laughs> Here, here's, well, you respond and then I'll respond because I know what I want to say. Well, um, I find Ben Simmons the most annoying person in sports, uh, and he's been that for some time. Um, but I saw a, a, something that was written in one of the New York papers uh, talking about Ben Simmons a couple weeks ago, and they're referring to his situation. And they said that the problem with Ben Simmons, and he understand, I can under, they can understand his reluctance to play in Philadelphia because he was he was made the scapegoat. He was made the scapegoat for the Sixers' elimination in the playoffs last year. He was made, was he? Yeah, yeah. That, that was it, that Ben Simmons was made the scapegoat for the Sixers falling short in the playoffs last year. So it, it none, he had nothing to do with it. They just, they just blamed him for everything that went wrong. All right. Here's my uh, opinion on this. Anytime somebody just, – can you pl- just play the beginning of it? You know the part I want to hear. Just play the part I want to hear. My IQ's so high. There you go. <laughs> right. Anybody who has to tell you how smart they are is not smart. Right. Anybody who has to tell you how brilliant they are, how clever they are, whatever, if they feel the need to persuade you, Mm -hmm. it's because they don't really believe they're that smart. But they want you to believe they're that smart. And so 
I think he's a, I think he's a fraud. I think he, you know. I don't know what's going to happen there. We we wish disaster for him. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But it's just so in his nature. And I don't you had to see it, right? He's wearing the sunglasses now mm-hmm. and the $20,000 jumpsuit that right. he's gone on, right? A tracksuit. And uh, you know, the 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 jewelry and the whole thing mm-hmm. and and the, and the that stoic facial expression that you just want to punch him in the mouth. Right. You know, my IQ is so smart that it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, I, All right, that was good. I, I wish somebody had just followed up with him and said, oh, like, can you walk us through, like, uh, passing that dunk off to Matisse Thibel? What kind of calculations were you going through in your always. head? That will Where? always be the, the <laughs> meme in this town. All right, what do you got next? Unbelievable. All right, so uh, this is uh, more uh, on a sad note. I wanted to kind of tee you up on this one. Uh, I'll take you back. I'll set this up with a clip here. This is the Stanley Cup mm. Game 2 1978 Montreal Canadiens versus the Boston Bruins. Robinson au centre. Robinson à la fleur. So that was a that was a French call there. Guy Lafleur. Yeah, even did it in French. Yes, uh, he just passed away yesterday at age seventy. Glenn, I will. Uh, yeah, him, you know. well, and, I, and I'll I'll go quick and go to Ray because we both. So I grew up a Buffalo Sabres fan, as you know, and um, didn't particularly like the Canadians, but respected their greatness. But Guy Lafleur was one of those few guys who, even if he wasn't on your team, you would root for him was so compelling and exciting. This is before everybody wore helmets. I'm not advocating that. But gosh, Ray, watching Guy Lafleur zoom down the ice with his hair flying behind him was just so thrilling. And and any game he was in was compelling. It was. And he was, um, as you said, it was an era of hockey when most of the guys weren't wearing helmets so you could recognize everybody and they certainly had a distinctive look about them and Lafleur had the look of the of the flowing hair literally blowing in the wind because he skated that fast and it sort of accentuated how fast he was it sort it sort of it sort of drove home the Mm -hmm. point that he was just faster than everybody else because he looked faster than everybody else and what a great player he was and I remember I was covering hockey back at that time and the Flyers played their share of big games against the Canadians and I remember they sent me down to do a piece about Guy Lafleur uh and the thing I'll remember is when I when he came I, when he showed up at the Montreal Forum for our scheduled interview and he showed up right on time he came in the door smoking a cigarette <laughs> I, I was not expecting uh, a little that. incongruous there. I was not <laughs> expecting that now I knew that they, there had been references to him that he smoked but I didn't expect him to come walking into the forum smoking a cigarette. Um, but he was typical of a lot of a lot of great players and hockey players. He was very very soft spoken and not a particularly good interview. Um, yeah, well, but it's my God, what of, yeah, a great player! A lot of hockey players were just happy to be here. Yep. All right, one more. Okay, one more. So uh, this was a little bit of news out of the Miami Heat camp. Last night, Kyle Lowry appeared to have injured his hamstring, Mm -hmm. uh, putting his status for Game 4 a little bit in question. Now, there's a little bit of a ripple effect effect here as I see it. One, uh, this is going to likely, you know, it could help extend the Hawks series. It was already extended last night with uh, Atlanta's win. And that's a good thing, I think, for multiple reasons. Just because, one, I'm not sure how much rest will help in this case with Joel Embiid. uh, But giving him another week off if we do, in fact, pull off the sweep today, I think is going to be good for everybody. And also, just before uh, this 
game, this series here, Doc Rivers mentioned that we sort that week off sort of gave him an opportunity to have like a mini training camp and get all of the guys sort of together and uh, in a in a rhythm. I think another week off could maybe work wonders for this uh, team in getting them prepared for the uh, Miami Heat. Series. So you got the Kyle Lowry injury. Yeah. So Atlanta's going to take a couple games. I hope so. Yeah. Go seven. Yeah. Sixers get to relax. Yep. Embiid gets to heal. Mm-hmm. Doc gets to bond. Yes. All is well. Yes. <laughs> okay. And by the way, you're, you you still think Miami wins the series? Uh, the, the the Atlanta series. Yeah. Yes. I do think they will end up pulling it off. But I, I'm just looking at it okay. as the, the it. more rest, the better. And by the way. I agree with that, by I, the way. Okay. Uh, it makes sense. Makes sense. And I, I'll just say this. I don't know that I want to see Atlanta again. No. I, I know was, it's a new year and the whole too. thing, but it's like, yeah. I would rather play the Heat, yeah. I, it's weird. I just, Atlanta series last year, and, and Sixers are a different team now. But I don't know. Well, that's good thinking. I like it. All right. There you go. Uh, what, and one before we wrap it up, uh, Alex Ovechkin becomes the oldest NHL player to score 50 goals. Ninth at, time? At, at age 36. Ninth time he yep. did it? Yeah. Yeah. Great player. Yep. Um, although I think they should ban all Russians from the league right now, but that's a whole separate issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Dinger, you are going out to a book signing. Tell the people about it. I am. Uh, I am on my way. When I leave here, I'm on my way up to Collegeville, uh, lovely Collegeville. At uh... T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.